It's time to get away in a new Hyundai vehicle during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event at Woodhouse Hyundai. The Hyundai lineup of sedans and SUVs has the capability you need and technology and features you want, like the all-new 2023 Hyundai Palisade and Hyundai Tucson. This holiday season, get into a vehicle that will give you confidence with Hyundai Owner Assurance, America's best 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Visit us online at WoodhouseHyundaiOfOmaha.com. You're an EOD guy, explosive ordnance disposal, a Navy SEAL, an actor, a director, a writer, a producer, a stuntman, a video game director, and a master of self-awareness. Rumor has it, and I wanna know if this is true. Rumor has it, Somebody hit you in the face with a baseball bat and you took the baseball bat and resolved the issue. Is that, is that true? That is not true. That's not true? It was a stop sign pole. We went into Solder City. That was uh, one of our big ones. Um, I had guys on the Zarqawi hit. When you go into a place where a guy is chopping off heads, setting it on the neighbor's porch, and then threatening them that they're next any day and they don't know when it's coming. When you go remove that cancer, it's like this dude, like way the, way the hell down there. And I'm like, and he's like peeking out from behind this car. And I'm like, There's a dude right over there you need to keep eyes on when he pops his heads up, pop it. I was like, that's exactly what the fuck you're saying. I was like, what makes you think that we can go downrange for years and take live for a bunch of people that obviously don't give a flying fuck? And I wouldn't do 10 times more for those closest to me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Sean Ryan Show. Over the past few weeks, we've had a tremendous amount of support show up on Patreon to support this show. I wanna say thank you guys for the generosity, and I hope you're enjoying all the behind the scenes and exclusive content that we put over there on Patreon for you guys, our best supporters. Also, I wanna say thank you for everyone that left us an iTunes review. If you haven't left us an iTunes review, please hit the link down in the description, head over there, and just leave us a one-word review. That really helps us get to where we want to be with the show. Thank you for that. With that being said, let's move on to our next guest. Our next guest is a former EOD technician. That's Explosive Ordnance Disposal, basically a bomb technician. He's a former Navy SEAL. He's an actor. He's a director, he's a writer, he's a producer. Among many other things, he is a master of self-awareness. If you want to donate or support to our next guest, you can go to vitalwarriors.org and you'll find him there. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome 017, Mr. McCall Vega. I wanna take a minute to tell you about Vigilance Elite Patreon. Patron support is what makes this show possible and gives me the ability to bring these one-of-a-kind stories to the public. Go to patreon.com slash vigilance elite and support the Sean Ryan Show today. McCall Vega, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Man, I have been looking forward to this one ever <laughs> since Capone's brought you up, uh, what, probably about six months ago. Yeah. And uh, we connected and it's just been, I, I've been really looking forward to this one. Yeah. I think I'm gonna get a lot of, I learned something every interview that I do, but I think that uh, you've got a lot of wisdom to share and uh, I plan on just being a sponge this entire interview. So, but just for the audience, I, I started trying to research you and you're involved in so many damn things that it's, it's, in, it's impossible to, to kind <laughs> of I know. get it, encompass all of it uh, in, a, in, in, in a decent amount of time. And, and uh, so usually I have mapped out exactly where I want to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one, I don't. I have a, a general guideline, but I am hoping that you hit a couple of specific topics and, and, and that's where I'll interject and we'll, we'll go explore a little deeper into that. But just for everybody, so you're an EOD guy, explosive ordnance disposal, a Navy SEAL, an actor, a director, a writer, a producer, a stuntman, a video game director and with what you're doing with the nonprofit and and the meditation and all that stuff I I don't know what to call it so I put it a master of self-awareness sure. you run a nonprofit uh, called the vital warrior you've been involved in from what I can tell at least 28 different major motion pictures or productions uh, to include SWAT, Mayans, Motorcycle Club, NCIS LA, Hawaii Five O, GI Joe, Dallas, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, and uh, I believe this is the most popular, most successful video game franchise of all time, Call of Duty, mm. by Activision. So it's kind of cool. Holy shit, man! Like. <laughs> Especially when I look at where I where it all started, man. It's like it's it's been a hell of a ride, man. I'll say. But uh, I start off. Everybody gets a present. Oh shit! When they come on, so yeah. it's Christmas time. All right, open it up. Go ahead, open it up. <laughs> Holy moly! What do we got here? Gummy bears? Those are the best gummy bears. You have bears. your own gummy bear line? Absolutely. Holy shit. I didn't have breakfast, so I'm going to crack into this it. right now. We got a lot of them. So. <laughs> My daughter's going to be happy, too. I love gummy bears. These don't have, like, THC or anything. No, nah, they're not the good kind, <laughs> but they are pretty damn good. <laughs> but 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I'll take one. I'll take one. They got to be soft. They got to be soft. Otherwise, it's just, it's not the same thing. Not bad, right? They're fucking great, bro. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Thank you. I'm glad you like them. I love gummy bears. I use them when I'm working out. You use gummy? I've heard that there's like a triathlete thing where they... Yeah. My, my trainer, his name's Austin Uku. He's like, he's a genetic freak. But he's a really good friend of mine, but he swears by them too. He's like, use them right after working out. It gives you the glycogen storage right back in them. Really? So. I'm going to have to start doing that. Yeah. I did not know that. I pretty much just eat them all the time, but no. Nah, well, now you have now you have a. <laughs> this is benefiting me. I am. I am. Yeah, helping um, my body with these gummy bears. Now I have a reason, but um, so your name came up as you know. We went out to dinner the night before the interview, and and uh, mm -hmm. pretty much with all the guests, I take them out to dinner uh, just to kind of calm the nerves and get to know you a little bit better. And so your name came up when Marcus and Amber Capone came out and they asked me if I'd known you, McCall Vega. And I said, no, I've never heard of that guy. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I hadn't. And then they said that he was, they said, well, I thought you were at SEAL Team 8. And I said, I was at SEAL Team 8. They said, well, I think he used to go by Hooch. And I was, my face just dropped. I was like, like, like Hooch, like Dave Fritch. Yeah. And, and, um, <laughs> and they, that's exactly what they did. They started laughing. They said, if you could describe Hooch in one word, what would it be? Uh, Without hesitation, I said monster. Just oh, monster. Yeah. And, um, so they started laughing. So you, you kind of have that reputation from the past, yeah. if you didn't know that. And yeah. um, so, so when I showed up to Team 8, uh, we were in ProDev. There wasn't a whole lot going on. Most of the people were, most of the, the operators were on leave. <clears throat> you weren't. And there was a couple of guys that I'd known that, were, that had graduated. Here we go buds in front of me and they had said just you know like everybody seems pretty cool but watch out for this fucking guy hooch <laughs> never do and i'm like who and like watch out for this fucking guy hooch and i'm like well what am i looking for and like don't worry when you see him you'll know it's hooch and i'm like oh fuck well all right whatever the hell that means you know and I'm like, well, what's the deal with this guy? And they're like, well, rumor has it, and I want to know if this is true. Okay. Rumor has it, somebody hit you in the face with a baseball bat, and you took the baseball bat and resolved the issue. Is that, is that true? That is not true. That's not true? It was a stop sign pole. <laughs> it was a stop sign yeah, pole? Yeah, like a piece of pipe like that from a stop sign do you want to go into that at all it's just a street fight man. yeah a bunch of you know bar stuff yeah bar uh, somebody ripped it was a, a bar fight 
Who took the fucking thing. stop sign pull it was, up? It, I don't know. The fucking thing was laying there in the street or some shit, dude. <laughs> and this guy fucking hits me with this thing. And I just fucking, I turned around, <laughs> grabbed, grabbed it, and just fucking pop, pop, pop. You know. Holy and, uh, shit. So yeah. it is true. Uh, yeah, it is a stop sign pole, though. My bad. Baseball bad. Stop sign pole, you know. Virginia Beach. Yeah. So redneck down there in Virginia Beach. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> but um, so then fast forward, we were doing a water row course, and <clears throat> that thing was fun. Yeah, and and exhausting. That too. That's a, that's a rough forearm blaster. Yeah, and uh, so we did a monster mash. You know, the PT run around the base. Did a, I think it was ocean swim, the whole shebang. Ended on the O course, and there was there was one older guy in my platoon that was uh, he, he wasn't on leave, he wasn't in schools. Turns out he didn't he didn't deploy uh, the first time, not a hit on him or anything. But he was always up all of our asses, and and uh, I'll tell you later. Okay, and uh, I don't want to dime him out on the show, but uh, sure, sure. But we had run the O course two times and this and uh, tried to do it a third time. And I just, I you fucking, know, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, that yeah. thing where it's like, you got the rings. Oh yeah. You're swinging, you know, you know, I don't have that fucking far of a reach and I already did it two times. No, wait, no, no, no. It's not just rings. It's the ascending ring. Yeah. They like, go like up. Like they go up. And you know, if you don't, uh, if you don't get it, then you fall in the pool and starting over. Back to right? one. So I already did it twice. And I think we only had to do it once. And this guy was all up my ass. He's like, you fucking get your ass over there and do it again. And, and uh, you know, I was like, I'm a new guy. I'm like, yeah, okay. And it just wasn't happening. And I was like, dude, I'm not doing it again. I knew this guy had not deployed, you know, the first time. And I, I was like, all right, I'm a new guy. But this guy's basically a fucking new a guy. A new too. guy too. And so I told you know, I told him, I said, you know, fuck off, dude. Like, I know you didn't fucking deploy. I'm not going to listen to you. And so he got all butthurt. We're back in the cages, you know, where we keep all our shit. For those listening, all we would have a basically a room. When you're a SEAL, you have so much gear, you need a room, which is basically a chain link fence. And every operator at the team has a cage. So I'm in my cage, working on my gear, changing my clothes, you know, getting ready to start the, the work day. And... I hear this guy behind me and he's like, that's, that's him. And I'm like, what the fuck does this dude want now? And I turn around and there you are looking at me Uh from outside my cage. (laughs) And I'm like, that's gotta be fucking hooch. (laughs) (laughs) And then the cage door locked and you gave me a little spiel. You were nice about it and then disappeared and I sat in my fucking cage locked for the next couple hours. Oh my gosh, dude. But uh, yeah, so that's how we met. And oh, then- well, fart, no handshake, nothing? I couldn't get my arm through the cage. <laughs> the holes are open. <laughs> uh, and from that point on, I just avoided you everywhere you were. I was like, you know what? I'm not fucking going over there. That guy's over there and I, I don't like being locked in my fucking cage. Fuck. So, yeah, but uh, anyways, kind of- Man, I don't remember it. 
Head trauma is real. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a lot I don't, I still don't remember. I'm probably not the only new guy that you That's fucking locked probably, in a cage. Probably true too. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, I got I don't want to paint the wrong picture though. Like, like, <laughs> okay. So, so in all fairness, I was a pretty fair guy. I always, at least I feel like it. Like, yeah. like it was just when guys got out of what my sense of, you know, left and right flanks were um, on what's acceptable behavior on predicated upon experience in the teams um, where those types of things would occur, you know, yeah. and, and, but I was pretty fair. If the guy was like completely squared away, I wasn't, I, I wasn't the guy that was just like beating up on new guys or anything like that. Yeah. It was, it was, it was just, I was showing them when they were outside the boundaries of what I thought at the time was where people should be. Yeah. So, well, that was probably actually the nicest lesson a, an older seal taught me because after that it was all fists and fleet, you know, and, and, and rigors tape. Yeah. There's but, yeah, see. Yeah. yeah and yeah, taped yeah. up. But anyway, so there's my seal teammate story <laughs> when we met. No wonder you wouldn't tell me that at dinner last night. Yeah. All right. I get it. I get it. But, uh, so, <clears throat> man, man, so you, so they told me, you know, back to Capone's, you know, they told me about you and how you had, um, you changed your name and how you had gotten into meditation. And it sounds, if I remember correctly, the Capone's started their entire vets organization. Uh, you kind of, you're responsible for that essentially. Uh, or maybe not responsible for that. I was that, a key but... player. I was a key player in in that evolution of Marcus and his wife. You showed them the light, I guess is what I'll say. It's, it's it is the way it sounded. We provided an opportunity that that they seized upon and took down the road. You know, and um, you want me to go into that now? Sure. So it's a. It's a long story to get there, though. So, well, let's go. Let's yeah. start the interview from childhood. But, yeah. okay. but I was, I was just fascinated with the whole thing. I, you know, with the with the ibogaine stuff, and I'm, I had really researched some of the science behind that on how it uh, blocks the default mode network and forces the brain to use other avenues to pass information uh, that it mm -hmm. doesn't normally do. And after seeing, hearing their story and what it did for him and, and, and actually a lot of guys that have been on the show, uh, I just, as I heard and learned more about it, I just got more fascinated and, 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 and researching you, uh, man, I'm just, I'm so happy you're here and, and yeah, so am I. I'm really hoping that I know I'm going to learn a ton and, uh, and so is everybody listening. So. Thank you again for being here. Absolutely, man. It's an honor to do so. Um, any any opportunity. So one of the big things, like as a default for anybody listening, is is there may be things that you don't understand that you hear today, that you hear me say today that you won't understand. It's fine. It's fine. Um, there's going to be different levels of listeners out there that are on different levels of the spiritual journey that will understand 
exactly what I'm talking about. And then those that don't, maybe when they engage upon that path, later on, those, those seeds will grow and they'll be like, oh, or they can reference this show and, and go, oh, that's kind of what I'm experiencing now that I've been doing this for a while. I can, I, I get it now, you know? So it's, it's the why, I think it's, I personally feel that, that being able to convey my journey and the way that it can be replicated in others is why I'm still here. I was always given just to the edge of, you know, the end, right? I always had just enough, like, so, so IED blast didn't like completely blow us apart, you know, bullets deflected by, you know, machinery in a, in a, in a minigun, you know, it's like all the, in the armor and it's, you know, uh, incoming mortar fighter, all the type of stuff that like, it just doesn't, I was protected. I was protected. I got I, I, enough would get through to where I could have the experience and relate to people that weren't completely, con, you know, protected. The mm -hmm. IEDs where people are losing legs and arms and you know these types of things. But I can I can I can relate to people somewhat. I, I mean, in a, in a I don't want to paint the wrong picture here, but somewhat I can relate to. Oh, this is what it would be like to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. I don't know how those people, I don't know how they surmount that. Yeah. Those types of things. Like when you, when losing a limb, I, I haven't lost a limb. I don't understand what that's like having to overcome, you know, and, and that type of adversity. But what I do know is that it doesn't matter what the experience is. It's that experience that completely shifts us, that is going to project us into a place of absolute prosperity and joy if we learn how to focus that beam in that direction. So we can turn the channel from the negative to the positive. And those are the types of things we'll talk about today. So being able to share that life experience on a platform like yours is an absolute honor and directly in line with the reason I'm still alive today. So I can't wait to thank dig you. in. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Let's start with a, I told you uh, a little bit ago that we have a Patreon network. Uh, basically, that it's a subscription network. They get behind the scenes <laughs> stuff and their support is actually what funds this entire operation with everything from the film crew to everything. And um, so I give them an opportunity to, uh, I tell them who's coming on and they get an opportunity to ask a question. I pick a couple of questions. And uh, this question is from Foxtrot1. And when we, when we tell them who the guest is, a lot of them do their own research and dive in and, and kind of see what you're all about. So mm -hmm. his question is, being into providing psychological treatment for wounded soldiers and veterans, what do you think about the role of military psychologists or shrinks, which were part of the forces overseas to maintain combat abilities of vulnerable or already traumatized soldiers, mm -hmm. handing out prescriptions for benzos, opioids, antidepressants, sedatives, etc., not to heal the patient, 
but to prolong the exposure by maintaining combat readiness. Um, so at the beginning of that, it says that I'm involved with the psychology. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not, a, just want to be clear. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, um, a psychiatrist. Um, but, uh, I have an experience, I have extensive experience of working with those, um, doctors. And so for me, um, I didn't find benefit Okay, so we have to go into this a little bit. So, um, which is going to kind of cause a piecemeal type of thing once we get flowing later. But mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll keep it succinct. So for me, it, it's been uh, the initial, if they don't have extensive experience in a combat environment with special operations forces, that's where we start getting into issues, right? And then I want to... This is rubbing on the chair. And, and, and I also want to delineate, there's a very clear line between psychology and psychiatry, okay? Psychiatry is the ones doing the pills, not psychology. The problem with the, the medications and these types of things is that there's never an exit strategy. There's a time and place for medicine, right? But I feel we turn to it much too quickly before analyzing hormone panels, seeing what's going on, you know, physiologically with the, with the system, and 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 um, and then you know, being diligent on ferreting out and using the medication as a last resort. That's what we should be doing, in my personal opinion, having walked the path that I've walked. Um, Again, I'm not against medicine. I'm not against these types of things. And I, there is a time and place for them. But we jump into it far too quickly, especially on the end of that. You know, yeah. We're in a reactive state when we don't have to be. We can be in a proactive state. But in regards to this particular question, my feelings around that are just that. Um, we, we, psychology for me was the better route. You know, no pharmaceuticals. Let's talk about these types of things and, and then, you know, formulate a plan on, you know, gaining some type of foundation we could even stand on after, after these events. As far as using these types of medications to, to uh, keep us operational, I can see where there's certain, I, I personally think that uh, there's certain instances where it's, it's warranted depending on what the mission is, yep. you know? And I mean, it's, we're sacrificing a lot. There's a big cost that people don't hear about by doing that. And I think that at the end of the day, mission specifically, uh, if you have to stay up for 48 hours because you're trying to hit a certain target or you're providing critical intel so people don't get killed, yeah, I'll bear that. I'll bear that, yep. you know? Absolutely, I'll bear that. But it's where there has to be, and I think where we fall short a lot of times is there's no back-end plan. Okay, there's, there's, not, there's not proper monitoring on, okay, this guy's been on this for about this much time. We're starting to hit addictive type levels that, that he's going to have some type of withdrawal symptoms and these types of things. And, and we don't have a plan in place. At least they didn't when, I'm, again, 
these answers are all based upon my experiences, not the conjecture of anybody else's. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, for me, uh, it was it, there was not a, a solid plan in place for what to do after that, right? And invariably, that that very same system as people and, and inherently, I feel like people are trying to do the best they can do for us with an unknown type of entity. Yeah. Right. An unknown situation, and they're trying to figure it out. Unfortunately, that's at the cost of the lives of many veterans. Yeah. So, so what I found through this journey now is that is again going back to what I had said earlier is that now I can use the the lens of hindsight, which is twenty twenty at all times, and I can see where I'm at now and where I was then, and I can understand how critical those components were so that I can even have this conversation right now to hopefully awaken the very same chain reaction in somebody else. Yeah. That's the purpose. That's the mission. That's the, that there's no greater purpose for me. Yeah. You know, than, than being able to relate to somebody going through that because I've experienced it, or I've had at least a dose of it. Might not be as bad. Everybody's got a different story, but I know how to come out of it. I know how to come out of it. That's huge. Yeah. <clears throat> we can recover from these things. And if we can successfully do so, not run from the past, incorporate the past, own the past, because the past is our power. Because once we start to realize those breadcrumbs of the past led us to where we are now and gave us the strength to step upon this spiritual path, this path of, this path of, um, of enlightenment, whatever level of that is for you, the practitioner, to that, that over time with diligence and, and consistency, we are going to have progress and we are going to gain an understanding of the why these things happen. And then over time, as we progress, we'll start to be able to have new experiences that are foundationally related to those that were before like a negative type of mindset when we associate to that past, right? Yeah. It becomes, a, a, the, the negative mindset becomes a, a, a type of gratuity that we have because we went through it. I'm sure you've experienced stuff like I that. I have. Yeah, and see, that's, that's, we have, again, this is why I say we have to learn how to hear, then we have to learn how to listen because that is the frequency, that's the tone of how that teacher within talks to us, right? Yeah. You're already hearing it. You're already seeing it. And you're, and, and you're kind of like looking at it. Now you have to learn how to explore it. Now we have to learn how to get away from judging and replacing with observation and compassion Makes. and these types of things, right? Makes sense. So. Before we go too far down this road, Let's start, I know your dad was a SEAL. Mm. Let's start childhood. What was, 
what was McCall's, McHale's childhood like? So, <laughs> I was, I was completely creative. I wasn't violent. I was, um, I had a lot of, I, I started to develop a lot of anger when I was younger. How young? Um, probably around first grade or so. And I think that just comes from being in the environment. that Really young. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that anger turned into, I, I, I created, so, so I was literally a glee club kid, like, like we had briefly discussed earlier and, uh, full on glee club quit. Yeah, I was like, Madrigals. It's called. They called it Madrigals. And that was drama like, club. All that, all of it. I was doing musical theater. Um, I was. I was um, singing. You know, dancing. Hot pink vest, top hat, putting on a Ritz. I'm serious. I'll show you pictures, dude. You'd be like, what? But when you see this child that I'll show you in these pictures, you could see that it. I was frail. I felt. I mean, my build was frail. You know, I was very much 100% um, a creative. I still am. I still always was. I always have been, right? Even in combat, I was very creative, you know? So as I grew up, I was bullied a lot. There was, there was a lot of abuse. Um, you know, my dad, my dad was a SEAL and, um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I had that type of powerful figure to, to kind of show me a, a way, right? There's no coincidence there. That, that, was, that was by design for sure, in hindsight being what it is, you know, again. Um, but, you know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Dad was gone all the time. He was a team guy. Yeah. Gone all the time, 10 months out of the year at least. You know, uh, divorced very young. You know, I think I was four or five when they divorced before I even started school. Um, didn't get to see him a lot, you know. And 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 I understand it now, be, having become a SEAL and have sons and daughters of my own. And and I understand now. And and so much so, in fact, that like I, I'm, and we'll get into this, but uh, you know what, it, it hampered my relationships with my children as well. How can it not? Yeah. You know, I see these guys that like, you know, and I'll come back, but, but I see these guys that do this perfect blend. Like they have this, it seemingly this really strong relation, family relationship as they're gone all the time in the teams. And I never understood how they did it. It's because I was never shown how to do it. You know, is why I learned. And that's no hit on my father or my mother or anything like that. That's just, that's just, they did the best they could with what they had and what their experiences are, right? At the time, I didn't understand that. At the time, as a child, I was like, this is a shit show. This sucks. And my fucking, it was horrible, right? And, um, and so, um, there was drug use when I was a kid and, um, there was all kinds of stuff going on you know, sexual stuff and, and like all these types of abuses happening. Did you live with your dad or, or? I lived with my mother. I lived with my mother. 
Um, I was, I was, uh, I, I was alone. What did your mother do? She had to work multiple jobs to support us. You know, so she was gone all the time. I'd come home from school, a lot of times walking home from school, and I'd be alone, you know, until late at night, or I'd see her in the morning, or I'd be at some babysitter's house for a couple of days at a pop. Sure. Know? And, and, or, and during the summers, I'd go live with my grandmother. And my grandmother imparted to me, like, even more, a, a deeper creativity. And she's the one that's established and taught me about God and as a Baptist, you know. And so I always felt I had a special connection to God. And it was always in, it was always in direct, <laughs> direct opposition. My experience of that in that relationship was always in direct opposition to what the church was saying and doing. It was like, that doesn't feel right to me. You know, it doesn't feel right that, 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 you know, my version of God isn't the one that's like burning people down to the ground. I always feel peace and love in this connection when I, I, I would sit alone as a child. Wow. Like very young, like six. I'd go to church camp and stuff like that and you'd learn more and, you know, and not really fit in with anybody there, you know, and kind of be on my own, not, not making many friends, you know, and, and it was, it was just because I, I think it was because I couldn't relate. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't, I know now why. But, but at the time I didn't know, I didn't know why I was very awkward, you know, but the, the place that I felt at home and open was when I was creating, but then somewhere along the line, you know, my desire to fit in with people started to get stronger. The desire to be, um, more accepted started to get stronger and invariably I wasn't, it was, it was the opposite. It was, there was. Um, as I grew up, there was more bullying, you know, as you get into, you know, high school and these types of things. And, and so I barely got through high school. <laughs> I barely got through high school. And I think a lot of it was when I started doing really well, it was around ninth grade or so. I was like getting A's and B's and all that type of stuff. And then that's when, that's when like some heavy, you know, bullying type stuff came in and, you know, People just, it was bad. It was bad. And, um, and the pain that I felt when I went home, like I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to be around anymore. I just, I, because of that connection to God, I just wanted to, I, I kept praying. I kept praying. Can I, can I please come back? Hmm. Can I please come back? I just want to come be with you. That's, that's, that's the connection I had. And so when I was 11, one time I was hunting, I was with my stepdad, I was 11 and we went hunting and uh, I had an M1 and I remember praying and I was sitting there. I didn't want to hunt. Remember the kid I am. I didn't want to hunt. I didn't want to kill a deer. 
It wasn't me. I didn't want to do it. I was doing it to fit in, you know. Nothing against hunters out there. No. You know, I have since hunted many times. <laughs> and 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 not always stuff on four legs. Yeah. So so a lot of things changed. So but at the time, you know, I didn't want to do it. You know, I didn't want to be out in like the cold and yeah, I was a I was I just wanted to keep, you know, performing and and doing my thing. Um, video games were a big part of my world then too so we'll get more into that later but but um and then drawing also you know all, all kinds of stuff i'll show you i'll show you my stuff later cool but 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 i'm sitting there and and um and all these hunters uh it, it was kind of a proverbial straw and um and all these grown men started fucking making fun of me and shit, right? These grown men, like, making fun of me, like, tormenting me. And my stepfather at the time let that shit happen because he was weak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we went out, and I was, I was already in anguish because of a whole bunch of other types of abuse that were, I was holding all of this stuff. You know, who do I talk to? Who could I talk to? I had nobody. There's nobody to talk to about this. And I always thought that if I did talk to my father or mother about it, they'd be ashamed of me, you know? And because somebody else abused me, what the fuck? That's how, that abu that's how abuse works, right? Yeah. And so I'm <clears throat> sitting there and I'm, I'm sitting on this log. And I remember I started praying and I was like, it, it was it. I'm sitting there, I take the M1. I put my forehead on the barrel. And I said a final prayer. I started to squeeze the slack out of the trigger. And I was like, God, if, I, if this is not okay for me to come back to you right now, please give me a sign right now. Crack. I look. And there's a fucking buck standing like from here to your fucking corner. Just staring at me. No shit. I just start crying. Damn. And I look and I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know. It's like, but the pain is so deep. And I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And... And I tried to shoot the deer and I missed him, <laughs> you know, um, but, and so then they do a shame thing where you got to cut off the bottom of your shirt if you miss the fucking deer and all that type of stuff, right? Um, there's a part of me that wonders if the deer was even there, you know, um, but, but that's the story, that's this, that's the last time that anything I think, and, and I think now literally right here as I sit here, I think that's probably why I didn't kill myself after combat. That's a big sign. I mean, I think wow. inherently like, but I had forgotten, like as time goes, you forget and it doesn't become the forefront of our thoughts, you know, but it's a massive sign. Right. And, <clears throat> but I think that's what kept me from 
even consider like like I never after combat I never thought about I never like made plans to kill myself or anything like that but I knew um but I really understood why people were you know yeah and I think now literally having I'm having this connection thing happening while I'm sitting here having told that story I think that that was one of the necessary experiences I had to have so that I didn't do it later. You see how the timeline type of those types of things work. That's interesting. But time goes on. I go through high school. I, I, I'm, I want to create. I'm in Virginia, though, between Virginia and Ohio. And it's like, well, what do I do? There's not any like great acting outlets at in Virginia Beach in '89. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> There's not a lot of great acting outlets in Bath, Ohio, in '89. Yeah, you know. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. My dad's like, well, maybe you should join the military. Yeah, I'm like, okay, uh, maybe I'll go into the Marines. I tried the Air Force first. I tried the Air Force first, and they were like, get the fuck out of here, kid. <laughs> and uh, and so then I was like, well, they said no. I wanted to be a pilot. I think I wanted to be a pilot first. I remember that now. I was like researching Embry-Riddle University and all these types of things, and I was like, that'd be really cool to be a fire pilot. And my dad's like, yeah, okay, go for it. And then the Air Force was like, no. He didn't, he didn't go, hey, the Navy's got a flying program. Yeah. He, he was like, he was like, he's like, well, what? I was like, well, what about the Marines? What if I go be the Marines? They're like, fuck that, dude. They treat you like shit. Don't go to the fucking Marine Corps. They're going to treat you like shit. Join the fucking Navy and, and, and go into explosive ordnance disposal. If you want to do something like that. I, was, I literally remember asking this question. I was like, can I use my artwork? <laughs> Can, can I, can, is there a way to use is there anything in the military where I could use my artwork to do it like to like that's my job you know and he's like uh well you could be kind of like a MP or something and maybe like doing the the profile sketches he's like he's like I don't know of anything that you can use your you know art ability um but um but he goes, he, he goes, no, no, go. I was like, well, what about what it is you do? What if I go do that? SEAL teams. He's like, uh, yeah, no, don't, no. He goes, go EOD first. If you really want to become a SEAL, go become a SEAL. After you do the EOD thing, it'll make you a much better SEAL. You'll have the explosive knowledge. You'll, you'll, be, a, you'll be a real force multiplier in the SEAL teams as an explosives expert type guy. You know, and I'm like, that that had logic to me, right? Yeah. He goes, and then like you're you're probably gonna fuck up a lot when you get in the Navy, and I don't want you to do it over there instead of in the SEAL teams. And I did. I fucked up a lot, a lot. People thought I was a rock, and I wasn't. I was the other way around. But it was like, but when it came to the job, when I finally got through, I went to EOD school, joined in '89. Went to EOD school, went through, a, they had a, a, an assistant program at the time, EOD assistant, 5331. And so I went to Denton, Norfolk, and 
I was a shit show, dude. But when I was actually doing the job, it's because I didn't know how to act in my off time. Because I was so I was so messed up in my personal life. But doing the job itself, I was really good at it. I was really good at it. And because I could retain, I retained all the knowledge. The job itself, actively working as an operator, I was solid. And that's I think that's why they kept me around. And I had a big heart. I had a huge heart. You know, it was just I kept fucking up in, out in town, fighting, trying to find my way. Like more and more aggression started coming out, you know. And I started turning into what you saw in those pictures and everything. And and I think that was that that whole thing was so it was not just a byproduct of our training and everything like that, but it was also a, a get the fuck away from me. Yeah. You know, protection of who I still always was inside. I was always that sensitive kid inside, you know, and, 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 but I had to build up like nobody else was going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of myself, you know, and that, that's what drove me. And so that I started cultivating aggression, destruction, like violence, you know, and, and it served me really well in the teams um, when we were working. Yeah. You know what I mean? But out in town, that stuff's happening like all the fucking time. And everybody's going, fuck, man, can you stop? If I stop drinking, maybe. Yeah. You know? So, so fast forward, EOD, nine years, screwed up a lot. I tried for six years to go to Bud's. You tried for six years? Six fucking years to go to Bud's. What took I, so long? Well, I'd fall on my own sword a couple times, you know, getting in alcohol-related incidents. and uh, But then then it was EOD. And, and I got to say, um, and if there's some EOD guys out there right now, um, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, be nice to people when they want to go outside the community because they weren't to me. They called me a traitor. When they found out I was, I was, I was like a four at the time it was a four O sailor thing. And, and I'm not playing a victim here is I get it. You know, a lot of, at the time there was a lot of guys in the EOD community that I don't think that's the case anymore. I don't think they're allowed to like cross pollinate anymore. Like they were in the, in, in the past. Where you could jump from one warfare to the other, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, but um, there were some there were some people there in positions of power that were um, pretty abusive when they found out I wanted to be a seal, you know. And they, and again, it wasn't all them. I'm I'm not saying it's all them. I I gave them plenty of ammunition to say no, you know. Yeah. So plenty of ammunition to say no i'm owning that you know but my message here is if you're an eod guy listen to this and you have a guy that is in the community that wants to go do something else support him it's okay support him yeah don't 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 call him a betrayer and a traitor and then like give him all the shit jobs because he wants to go do something that you maybe wanted to do or tried to do and couldn't yeah, you know, give them their shot. 
What was it about becoming a SEAL that appealed to you? Because I mean, what my aggression? I knew aggression. because we started. We started. That's when they started embedding EOD guys in the platoons. Um, it was. It became really definitive. I had a lot of. You got to understand. I had a lot of deep ties to the teams too because I grew up in them, right? These guys would come over and 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 it never left. It was like if I'm going to go do this, I, I want my dad to me was like. And you've heard me say this before because it's it's my story, and and my dad to me was like Batman. I I not see him for tons of time. He'd show up in the middle of the night and he'd be there the next day and then gone again. And you know, oftentimes where like he'd be standing right behind me out of nowhere, not having seen him for four to six months, and then all of a sudden he's there. Typically, when I'm giving my mom a really hard time. You know, and then I'm like, Ugh, and he's right there behind me with no sound. It's like that kind of shit growing up with that. And then the guys he'd bring over, Danny Chalker, all these types of dudes, you know, it's like, I mean, those are fucking superheroes. Yeah. To a kid like me, to that kid I described, they're like superheroes, you know? And um, so, so over time in that, when my dad was there, that, I think that planted that aggressive momentum that started happening. Um, thankfully, <laughs> um, it really set a balance that I'm grateful for. Uh, and and so, so as I was in the EOD, going back to your question of why I went from the EOD into the teams is, I think that seed was there. Originally, I wanted, I, I, I remember... Um, I was with the platoon, uh, Delta platoon, on the Roosevelt. We were doing it. And that's when team guys were still doing six-month deployments on aircraft carriers, right? And um, and I remember I I just felt so at home with them. I felt so I like I understood the balance too. Like I knew I wasn't one of them, but but I was welcomed by them because of my mentality and what I was into. I was starting to box and, you know, and, um, and just training with them. And it was just a fucking blast, man, being with them. And, um, and so I remember I walked into my EOD detachment cage. I told him, I was like, I want to go, I want, I want to go be a SEAL. I want to go into the SEAL teams. And, uh, and I, I handed them my package and they tried for a week to talk me out of it. And then they got violent. They got violent. They got violent. Started throwing shit at me, told me, get the fuck out of there. That would probably kill somebody. And, you know, you know, meanwhile, that whole week, they're telling me how phenomenal of an EOD tech I am, hmm. you know, and this is a real story. I'm just telling the facts. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I did, I, and they go, go fucking muster with the platoon. Go get the fuck out of here. But I was like, okay. And so I went down and mustered with the platoon. The platoon chief was like, yeah, no problem. I told him the story. He was like, yeah, no problem. I got it. We're good. And I was like, okay, I'm your guy. They wrote me up. No shit. They wrote me up for being unauthorized absence and you know fucking 
no, fuck your package now and all that type of shit. Yeah. Damn. It was, that's what I mean. It was, it was rough. It was rough. And don't get me wrong. There are a, a ton of phenomenal fucking dudes in the EOD community. Ugh. There's such, there's some solid, solid humans in that community. It's just one or two guys that tried to go to Bud's and couldn't make it or wanted to and yeah. didn't, you know, have that. You know what I mean? And, um, and that's, I'm sure that's, I'm sure there's a lot of organizations out there that experience these types of things. Um, and so I, um, I went on, you know, carried on smartly. I finally stopped drinking. I was like, I'm never going to go do this thing if I keep drinking. I was like, I was like, because weird shit would happen, right? You know, weird, weird, like when I drank, weird things would happen that could absolutely happen when I was sober, but they never did. Yeah. You know, like a car, like coming around and hitting me with a fucking rear view mirror or something, you know, off the sidewalk, you know, it's like, it, it just never happened, you know? Yeah. Shit falling off something and hitting me, and because I had blood alcohol content, now it's an alcohol-related incident. Yeah, but I could have been sober, and the same thing happened. You know what I mean? It was, it was just, it never happened. But you're so rarely like, sober. What's that? I'm guessing, but you're rarely sober. So, but I, I, well, no, I was. You I, were. I, I was. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't like a, a major alcoholic yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but. Um, I never was, I don't, I don't feel like I ever was a major alcoholic. I could just drink a lot. Yeah. I could drink a lot and then I could not drink. And I know that they put all those different type of categories of alcoholism and all these types of things. I get it. I get it. I get it. But for me, I even bought into that for a little bit and it was like, I am a recovering alcoholic. I did all that and I went down those paths and, and it was like, I'm saying and doing this stuff, but there's a different way. I don't feel like this is, this is me. And so I just stopped. I just stopped drinking, you know, and every once in a while I would drink at like every special occasion, something like that. And I was fine with it, but then shit would still start happening only when I fucking drink. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'm done. You know? And then I drink again, you know, uh, and, and, uh, it wasn't until I started my spiritual practice that I, that it really stopped, you know, stop, stop, because it was just too much of an energetic cost to recover, like from that mindset state, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, it just, there was too much of a, as, as you start to, you know, practice in this, it, there, you could feel the difference. And, and your ability to focus and joy and all these types of things. It, it, it just, there's a distinct difference. And it was like an anchor, a spiritual, a spiritual anchor. I mean, it's depressing, right? Yeah. It's depressing. <laughs> and I'm trying to do the opposite of that. So why am I going to bear that extra load while I'm trying to, you know, ascend? You know, so I stopped. And um, so um, fast forward, went to Bud's. Uh, class 224, we started with, I think, 183, something like that. Graduated 11 originals. Damn. You were an original? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my swim buddy was too, Mike Koch. 
Michael Koch. Um, and remember the story that I painted when I tell you this, this, this experience in Buds. So I'm sure from people listening to your show, they know what a swim buddy is by now, right? You want to Should describe I go it? into it? Okay. Swim buddy, it's, it's the opposite of COVID, right? It's the opposite <laughs> of, of social distancing. You have to be within six feet of your swim buddy at all times as you go through this training. That person learns more about you than you probably know about yourself, you know, and, and you get through things together. Case in point, I uh, was in third phase with my swim buddy and, and um, we're all doing fast roping and rappelling, right, in third phase. And they had this 80-foot rappel tower and we're going through the hell hole. Hell hole is like a, you got to understand, I was 238 pounds when I went through buds, right? So, and I'm going through the hell hole, which is about this big. And I was a first class petty officer. I was a senior EOD tech. Father's a plank owner of Damn Neck. My, um, so I'm sitting there and we're standing there. And, and, and I remember one of the instructors come up, a warrant officer. He's like, hey, Fritch, that name's really familiar. And you look like a lot, like a shooting buddy of mine. Oh, shit. And I'm like, and I'm like, here we fucking, because I had kept it under the wire. Nobody had figured out that you're dead. Nobody had figured this, nobody had figured it out until like, I think after Hell Week. Holy shit. It was after Hell Week. Nobody put it together. And then he's like, you wouldn't happen to be related to Fred Fritch, would you? And I'm like, maybe. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. You know it's coming now, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was game the fuck on, dude. Um, it was no, actually, it was right before Hell Week. I think it was right before Hell Week. I think Hell Week was the fourth week, and this was probably the third week that that happened. I can't remember exactly, but um, but it was it was that kind of thing that like you're like, fuck yeah, bring it, bro. Let's go, let's go. I'll earn every. I'll earn every fucking bit of this shit. And I want to. Yeah. I want all of it. Give me the extra shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, so they did. And, um, it was, it was, it was game on. And, um, my swim buddy got to bear some of that with me. <laughs> He's like, God damn it, dude. I'm like, Hey, yeah, but it's better this way. You know, it's better this way. You want this. This is the, you want to know <laughs> that you earned it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want the easy course, you know? And um, so, so um, fast forward to third phase, you know, the, the story ripples on and uh, these guys are like, okay, Fridge is going to demonstrate some, you know, repelling and, and how, to, how it's done. And they hand me fucking Wilder's gloves. And I'm like, I'm like, thanks. And they're like, what? You don't like the gloves we gave you? Everybody else is in repelling gloves. I got yeah. welder's gloves. They're super fucking thick. Like getting them the fucking clothes. I'm going through the hell hole. I'm 238 pounds. I'm scraping the sides of the hell hole as I'm going through. You know, and, and they're pulling a bunch of line out. And I'm going dynamic. 
shown off for all intents and purposes, you know, it's like, and everything's fine. Everything's fine till it's not. One of my runs, I jump through the hell hole, catch a loop of the slack on the deck, rips my fucking brake hand out. The belay man thinks I'm still going dynamic. Boom! Oh, straight shit. into the fucking ground. I hit so hard, this orange jelly came out of my fucking nose, dude. I'm like, <sighs> I remember the dust settling on my face. <sighs> I start to sit up, and the corpsman's like, no! Lay back down! And I'm like, okay. And my right knee's fucking boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, fuck. Systems check. No, just my right knee. I don't have any broken bones or anything. I don't think. And and so he comes up. He checks. I forget his name, but what a great dude he was. He checks. He goes, what knee is it? What knee? And I'm like, it's this one. It's this one. But I'm like, it's this one. This drama class is paying off. I'm like, fuck. And he's like, yeah, feels okay. I don't feel any. And he goes, and he looks at me and he's like, let me check it against the other one. And then he checks the other one and I'm just like, mm. you know, and he's like, he looks at me and he's like, just take the roll, dude. I think we were in third week of third phase. Damn. He goes, just take the roll, dude. Go heal up. Come back. We're about to get on the fucking mountain. You know. He goes, then you're gonna have to do all this shit again. It's nine weeks, especially when you get out to the island. And I'm like, I'm good, dude. He's like, okay, get up there. We're doing fast rope next. Shit. I go around the corner and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know, just like sick, dude. I'm like, sick. This thing fucking hurts so bad. I get up there and I'm like, burning my fucking palms going down the fast rope. You know, because I'm squeezing so tight. And, uh, you know, I do a run and I'm kind of like, keep recycling back to the back of the line type thing, you know. They know. They're fucking smart. They're watching. You know, go again. Get a couple runs in. Just try to drag it out as much as I can. We start forming up to take off. I couldn't keep up with the class. I'm like, fuck, man. Fuck. I can't run. And uh, so I was paying out a pocket to to go out in town and get my knee worked on every night after we secure you know and it started working like i failed my next time run and and but 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 then i started getting back up on step right i'd go out every night they do all the work on the knee the injections all that type of stuff and you know uh just click and you hear it um and uh and to this day that thing's bugging the shit out of me but but um but i was doing okay you know i was getting back up on step i was doing fine and then and then we went and did land warfare and i couldn't go out and get those treatments every night you yeah know? i couldn't do all the work on my on my legs and um and so uh we me and mike we uh, we had a system in land warfare we'd haul ass to the next point you know one dude would take a break while the other guy ran up and grabbed the point yes we broke the six foot rule but it was quick 
you know, we were turning around quick and we, and most times we could keep line of sight. You know what I mean? We'd try to keep line of sight, you know, so one guy could rest up and it kept our overall time. This is back when that it mattered. Like you had to pass that. Shit, yeah. Right. Well, after about the third day of that shit, I started slowing down. I couldn't do, I couldn't do the treatments and like it was, it was wearing on me and I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. And, um, and we got to one of the hills. It was my turn to do the, the thing. And, and he's like, let me go up there and get this. And I was like, it's my turn, dude. Let me go get the fucking take your break. Enjoy it. And I'll be right fucking back. And he's like, he's like, dude, we're fucking slowing down. Let me just go get the fucking point. You can get the next one. And I was like, look, dude. And he's like, dude, everybody saw you saw, fall off that fucking rappel tower. Nobody thinks you're fucking weak. Is that what you fucking think? Is that what's going on right now? Let me go get the fucking point or we're going to fucking fail. And I'm like, ate my ego, ate my pride. I'm like, he goes, whatever. You, I was like, go. Fine, go. Felt like shit, right? We don't ever want to be in that fucking yeah. position. Felt like shit. And, and he goes, whatever you do, don't fucking leave here. Don't, no matter what. I was like, just go. Fuck, I got it. We're good. He goes up. He's gone an hour, two hours, three hours. I'm freaking the fuck out, dude. Shit. I'm like, this dude fucking fell off a fucking cliff. Like, I didn't move. I didn't want to go look because if he came back and, and I wasn't fucking there, now we're really fucked, right? You know, so I'm like, fuck, it's starting to get dark. He comes fucking, <sighs> fucking coming out of the bushes. All right, let's go. I'm like, where the fuck have you been, dude? And he goes, I was getting all the fucking points. And I was like, you motherfucker, I'm... Wait, you got all the fucking points? Damn. And he's like, he's like, yeah, but now you got to fucking sprint. So we're sprinting down the fucking side of the mountain. And, and we made the fucking time just barely. And had we been... For everybody out there that doesn't really know why that's such a big deal. Is because had we been caught, we would have both absolutely being kicked the fuck out for safety violations yeah absolutely and um this so he did the whole damn land navigation course he did he, yeah, yeah we're yeah did the whole fucking last piece of it for us wow. and had he been caught it was the first time it was the first time anybody, and, and I get this way every time I tell this story because of, because it was so profound for me. It was the first time, you gotta remember where I came from, right? It was the first time anybody ever truly sacrificed anything for me. It was the only time up to that point that somebody put their dreams on the line for me, for us. It was the first time I ever truly understood team and what it meant, what it really fucking meant. And, and so when he died in Iraq, doing what we do 
it was really hard. Because you know, like you always think you have more time. You always think that you're going to be able to see that guy again. You don't, you don't think, I, I never, in combat, I never thought about death, about that possibility. I was never, I never experienced fear in combat. Like I never, I was never afraid. And it wasn't from a lack of firefights. It just wasn't there. Hmm. Never. Ever. Ever. And, and I remember falling down in turrets and I've had the slowdown and all that type of stuff like where I'm in a turret and like it seems like the opening of the turret's like way the fuck out there. And it's like, why am I, why am I still laying here? You know? And it's like, and you gotta fucking, it feels like you're pulling your whole body through to force it to move again. You know? And then everything speeds back up, you know? And uh, even then, it was just like a, a what the fuck just happened type feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not fear. Not like, I don't want to go in there or do these things, you know? I don't know. And, and, it, and it wasn't, I don't know. It just, I wasn't wired in that time frame. Maybe, maybe it was because I didn't care. Maybe it was because I didn't care about the death thing. I knew I was good. Yeah. I don't know. I can't, I, I, to this day, I don't know why I, I didn't experience that. Um, and we've experienced a ton of death. Like we've experienced so much death and, and you know how, you know, I caught myself this one time. Do you know how you know that you've seen way too many funerals? When you turn, after it's done, when you turn to your buddy and you're like, that was a good one. And in Mike's, that was heavy. It was a heavy, up to that point in my life, that that was the the biggest sense of loss that I had felt. Because he was truly gifted. Like, as an operator and a leader, he was just, he was just, it's like God put all the pieces of like the ultimate operator, whom. And that was him. Like anybody that knows him will tell you so. Yeah. You know, and I was just honored to call him friend and brother. It happened at a time 
when it happened at a time in my life when everything was going sideways on me. Um, I couldn't sleep for four days at a pop. I was, I was starting to go into metabolic syndrome and shit. Um, they had started to put me on the medications and all these types of things that weren't working. Uh, I, uh, I had to take emergency custody of my son because his mother abused him horribly. How old were Six. I was two months away from another deployment. I had done another workup. Um, this would have been my fourth deployment uh, at SEAL Team 8. I did one UCOM and then two tours to Iraq, and then this was going to be... It would have been my seventh deployment in the Navy. Um, and two months prior to that, that's when um, I had to take emergency custody of my son. And in that situation, uh, the state appoints a, what's called a guardian ad litem. And they look after the best interests of the child. And I had just gotten married to my wife. She's from the Czech Republic. And... Um, and and I remember her asking me, um, she's like, how much were you gone last year? And I was like, 10 months. And she's like, okay. How long have we gone the year before that? And I was like, I see where this is going. And she's like, it's okay. I just need to know. And I'm like, 10 months. She's like, okay. She's like, well, we don't see how it benefits the child for you to have custody if you're gone 10 months out of every year. It's like, there's a war going on. I'm a seal. I was like, he won't be alone. He'll be cared for. My, my wife has been in his life since he was two. You know, been more of a mother to him than his actual mother. And, and she's like, yeah, but because of her language, the language barrier, we're not sure if like his school work will suffer and these types of things. I was like, so what are you telling me? Well, we have facilities we can put him in while you're away. And I'm like, what, like a fucking home? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, let me get this right. Because I volunteered to go step in Han's way with the men beside me and stand in front of the bullets intended for you, you're going to put my son in a fucking home? She's like, that's not what I'm saying. I was like, that's exactly what the fuck you're saying. I was like, what makes you think that we can go downrange for years and take life for a bunch of people that obviously don't give a flying fuck. And I wouldn't do 10 times more for those closest to me. She's like, you gotta remember what I look like. Mm. She's like, 
are you threatening me? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Don't worry about my fucking job. My command will take care of me. I'll find something. So I took, I may have had to choose between two families. The fucking one of the hardest things. I mean, how the fuck? I had guys, I had guys defer their favorable for green team because I was going to be their platoon chief and deploy with them because they had just come back from combat with me. Damn. And then I had to leave them. Damn. That's tough. That's real fucking tough. I had to fucking talk. And, and there's no winning that talk. It's yeah. like people that don't have kids, they don't understand. People that don't, people that, that child needed me. I wasn't there for myself. Yeah. But I knew I had to do this. I had to, I had to, you know? And that's how I wound up on the West Coast, right? I had to care for him. I couldn't make the same, I didn't want to replicate what happened to me. You know, when I was a kid, because that's what was happening. When I got that call, when I got that call that he was abused like that, again, it, it was, I, I was two weeks back from combat, dude. I wasn't even mad. It was just like, let's go. Who's abusing him? I don't want to. All right. Some people are bearing a load right now that are, that are of their own inside. I don't want to add to it. I understand that. So, um, um, let's take a quick break. Okay. Let's take a quick break. Okay. Hey guys, let me tell you about this subscription service that I've been working real hard on called Vigilance Elite Patreon. Basically on Patreon, we have it broken up into three different tiers. We got tier one, tier two, and tier three. Let's dive in. Our tier one patrons get all the behind the scenes footage of the Sean Ryan show. That could include behind the scenes photos, that could be side conversations that we have in between breaks, that could be specific questions that our patrons give us for the guest on the Sean Ryan show and a ton of bonus content that doesn't really fit into any specific category. For our tier two patrons, they get access to our tactical training library, which consists of well over a hundred videos. We've broken those videos up into separate categories and those categories are rifle fundamentals, pistol fundamentals, drills, tactics, driving, gear and weapon setups, and everybody's favorite, mindset. Also on Tier 2, you will get a live update from me on the 1st and the 15th of every month where we talk about the upcoming guests on The Sean Ryan Show. Plus, 
all the benefits of Tier 1. Our top tier, which is Tier 3, gets full access to all the other tiers, plus they get full access to me, where we do video teleconferencing, VTC, once a month. We discuss anything from tactics to current events to who's coming on the show. I take suggestions, and it's very interactive. No matter what tier you choose, the support is greatly appreciated, and it is the only thing that makes this show drive on. So thank you for all the support. See you on Patreon. So we're back from the break. You remember where we're at? Taking custody of my son. Yep. Right? Uh, guardian ad litem. So, um, so that was one of the, of what I call the perfect storm shit that, that I was going through at that time. Um, the other one was, um, I was starting to have neurological symptoms to, uh, an IED blast. I had, to be honest with you, I don't know if, it was just the IED blast or if it was a now because of, you know, the data that's coming out of close proximity explosives and stuff like that. I've been working explosives my entire career. Yeah. That was my thing. That was what I absolutely loved doing was explosives, explosive ordnance disposal, breacher, breacher RSO, you know, all uh, lead breacher, you know, all these, that was my thing. I love doing. And, <clears throat> And so, so who knows truly is probably an uh, accumulation of all of those different things. But, uh, the one that the doctors attest to the big, the big contributor to, uh, the issues I was having with my cervical spine and, you know, vestibular damage and all these types of things is when there was a roadside IED that had gone off on my vehicle, uh, during my first tour to Iraq. Um, all of the events that I've talked about thus far with my son and everything was after my second tour to Iraq, which was a very heavy combat tour, right? And um, in the first tour, uh, we were returning from an op. West Coast was running it, and <laughs> it was funny, man. It was like they... Um, they went down a route that they thought they could get away with. It was a black route, and they thought they could get away with some stuff, and they didn't. Do you want to describe what a black route is? So a black route is, um, at the time, uh, a black route is one that is probable for either some sort of an ambush or an attack, and you should avoid it. Period. Right? So it was a black route, and um, we were only going on it for... A very short amount of time and I'll tell you this and I was just augmenting because we were doing the PSD mission during that first deployment it was, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of things I learned during that deployment which was great and you know to put it in perspective to take a break from the PSD we'd go do DAs with you know, the West Coast guys over at the at buy-up right in the Grom and so we were with the West Coast guys, uh, developed a lot of good relationships with those guys. Uh, you were working with the Polish? The Grom, yeah. How was that? Did you Fantastic. like that? Yeah, it was great. It was, those guys are f phenomenal. 
They're really good at what they do. I, I thought personally, my experience was great with them. You know, <clears throat> I, I I love the Polish people. They're 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 hard charging and there's no nonsense with them. They're you know they they just work really hard. You know, really smart, really heart driven people. Um, from what I saw, you know, and and of course that you know appeals to me. Yeah. And um, and so. Um, but I wasn't like core to those operations. I tried to get over there every chance I could with the PSD mission. I made a deal with the command master chief, like, Hey, I'll train these guys in PSD. I'll stay here longer to train these guys with PSD. If you let me stay with the, the, the guys over at BIAP for three months and so I can do DAs, you know, I kind of work deals with my CMC so I could, you know, Kind of, you guys aren't going to be back till here. I'll be ready to take the platoon. It'll be fine. You know, all these types of things, right? Um, <clears throat> I was still a first class during that first deployment. I think I made, I think I made chief somewhere after that. Yeah, which was amazing. Um, so, but we were coming back from this operation. It was about three o'clock in the morning, I guess. And then a roadside IED went off on the vehicle. Uh, I was in the turret. And uh, I remember we're driving down the route. And I'll tell you this. And anybody that's probably been in an ambush or anything like that can can attest to. You can feel it coming. And that's going to be key later when we talk about some things. You feel it. You get a sense of it. And in this particular sense, I had turned my head. And I looked straight down. It's pitch black. I look straight down as we're traveling down the route and I looked at the IED. It's pitch black, but I saw a flash. I remember, I remember distinctly seeing a flash and the next thing I remember is me yelling down at a dude to stop punching me in my fucking leg because, because he was trying to get my attention. And um, he's like, hit me in the leg and I'm like, stop fucking hitting me. He's like, well, damn, dude, fucking answer me. Are you okay? And I'm like, well, I must have went out for a minute or something, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I had a couple of scratches, but I was, I was good. I how felt long, like I was good. My ears were, were ringing, and and I remember like being kind of dazed. And I'm like, going, why is my barrel pointed at this freaking wall? And I turned around, and then like everything kind of came back in. Oh, we just got attacked. Nobody's fucking there because it didn't even down our vehicle. It was no low shit. ordered. And but it was like a pulp fiction moment, dude. This thing was packed. We had we had uh indigenous forces in the back of the vehicle. We had the Humvee was packed inside and there was quarter size holes through the through the vehicle and the breacher blankets and nobody got hit. Damn. That's the kind of protection stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, and it's like, holy shit. You know, and I've had stuff in the past that has been the same thing, getting pinned by an LCU in the North Carolina post-hurricane sur- current uh, surf zone. Shit. Like being pinned against the bottom of the ocean as this thing's been slamming down into the bottom of the ocean floor, but not not getting me there. Getting sucked into the propellers of a fucking aircraft carrier. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the buddy line gets hung on something and we're like... <laughs> You know, just kind of like, fuck. Yeah. you know, 
That was <clears throat> both of those were with the EOD, by the way. Um, and uh, and and then now this and and so uh, we had gotten back to the back to base and and I remember like I started getting this gnarly gnarly earache dude it felt like there was an ice pick in my face dude and i kept going up to the corner like you do like we'd only been there a short amount of time at the time it was relatively new you know and i mean a couple months maybe and and i go up and i'm like hey man check out my fucking ear dude things something's jacked he's looking in there he's like dude i don't see anything man there's nothing wrong with your ear and i'm like fuck something's you know, and that went on for like six weeks, dude. And and they go, do you want to go to the top of the hill and take a look? You know, so, and I'm like, no, dude. You know, because then they'll send me out of here. You know, we finally got into war. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, and so I just like taking, like, give me something. Are we going out tonight? No? Okay, cool. Give me some painkillers for this fucking thing. And I, I, I just went on that way. And then the nights we were going on, I'd strap on the 12-pound the helmet and just, uh, I'd be like drooling on myself, dude. Like seriously, because it's like, fuck. You know, and um, it was, it was I, I thought I had pulled like all the muscles in my back and my neck or something um, because that was all spasming and everything. And none of us put two and two together. None of it, it was after the IED. None of us put on anything together. And then over time, you know, us being quiet, we I just kind of went on and it went away. You know, over about six weeks or so, like it, it started to fade over that six weeks. And then I was okay. Um, <clears throat> I felt okay. And we continued on. And then, and then um, did the second tour, which was, which was a heavy, you know, we, we got to do a lot of good work, you know, and uh, this was when uh, Jocko was in Ramadi. We were in on the buy-up, uh, and I was with the Iraqi Special Forces Unit as one of the senior enlisted advisors. I landed that dream job because I made chief, and I didn't have a platoon, so I was a free agent. Oh, and nice. It, and it just aligned that I need they needed... To um, they broke it into four groups A B C and D, so Alpha Platoon Bravo for for these Iraqis right, and so they'd have different senior enlisted advisors for each one of those, and there just happened to be a free seat. How were those guys? I've I've worked with a couple of them, and I don't know if they were actually special forces. It seems like sometimes things got interchanged. I, I'm I'm. I was not impressed at all, but I've also heard really good stories from these guys too. So, you, it's a, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Um, you get what you get, and you have to treat them like what they are. And you got to understand these guys are operating in their backyards, right? Yeah. They're familiar with everything. They know exactly where. Think about it, like just going around your neighborhood, and you're operating in that. You know where everything's yeah. at. You know, I mean, you you have that comfort level. You know where the threats are. You know where the bad guys are kind of hanging out. You got these things. We're not privy as much to that inherent knowledge, right, until we've been there for a while. And so 
Um, for me, it's a different thing, man. You got to treat them with kids' gloves. They're very sensitive people. You know, they're very passionate people about what it is they do. They love one another deeply. Um, and and so, for me, I, I learned the hard way. I had um, I had a great LPO that came in because it was uh, our my I was Bravo, and and so I was the um, tactical commander for Bravo uh, with the this this unit, right? And so what I had done is I took um, one of the existing Team Eight platoons, and they split that platoon into two. And made a fire team here, fire team here, and I was the chief of that second fire team. So I did the full chief platoon workup after the full platoon chief deployment. Damn. And I did it backwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so I got the deployed chief, and then uh, I got the the full workup with the one I had to step out of, right? Yeah. Um, now, uh, those guys were phenomenal. The, uh, you know, their actual platoon chief did a fantastic job with those men that, because I could absolutely trust them to carry out, you know, what my vision was for the battlefield. And, and they, they, I, and that's why I was good at it. I could see, like, I was pretty average as a seal. And we talked about this a little bit last night across the board, like, I was an average runner, average shooter, average, you know, for SEAL standards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was middle of the pack type guy. Uh, running, not so much middle of the pack. I was, I was 200, at that point, I think I was 248 pounds. You know, just, ugh. you know, served me well though. And so, so uh, my running wasn't, like I could get down the road, but, very dangerous over short distances, <laughs> you know. And uh, so, so I had a quick sprint, but the long runs, um, I, I wasn't as fast. But, but average, you know, as a seal across the board. Personally, for for me, I felt like um, being able to see and communicate and and kind of know what the battle the the tone is on the battlefield and being able to look at a target and identify actions on really quickly um i i felt like i was really good at that um so for time sensitive targets and these types of things i felt like that was absolutely right in alignment with every purpose like that i was designed to uh fulfill at the time and and then it made it really easy having those types of men that were so capable because I could just tell them what I wanted to do and they go do it, you know, and then they had the initiative to, you know, and, and then all I had to do was corral this in, in the space, right? Through comms, visual acuity. Like I, I'm a very visual person. I'm an artist. So that creative side, right? So I could see I can, in my mind's eye, I could see everything on the battlefield. I could, I could, uh, it was, it was really satisfying, you know. So, um, fast forward through that deployment, we we did a couple of operations where where um, we we went into Sadr City. That was uh, one of our big ones. Um, I had guys on the Zarqawi hit. You know, we did oh, a lot shit. of yeah. We did a lot of 
tier one stuff with CAG. And so um, they had so much work during that that we'd get a lot of tier one targets, you know, and it was a very purple unit. So I had, I, I had CCT, I had SF, I had the commandos, I had the Iraqi guys, I had the, you know, it was like, it was just this big mix of just military force. We were doing TF night hits. You guys were all operating under one. Holy shit. That's a lot of badass portions. That, it was not bad to include ass. air and all the others. Did you it guys was, have air? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It was badass. We didn't have, we didn't have our own, like, it's not like a, it wasn't a tier one, like dedicated air mm -hmm. for us, unless it was one of their targets and then they'd push air to us. You know, we, we had no problems getting assets, you know, yeah. it was, it was the priority, right? Cause a lot of times you'd be doing these operations and they had to have the Iraqi face on them. Yeah. So we're literally not, a, I don't know if we could say this. Can we? I don't know. I'll tell you offline. No but but um, so 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 a lot of times it had to have that Iraqi face on it. So that's why we were there as a senior enlisted advisor, so that we could facilitate that combat. Yeah. Right. And that's what I'd do. You know, we'd go up, we'd we'd plan out the stuff for them so that it was tactically sound, and then and then we'd roll up, and basically, my fire team leaders depending on what phase was on that evening for those operations and how we were cycling. And we'd pick the target and we'd let those guys, you know, kind of let them go, you know, and uh, we'd run the breaches and stuff like that with, and we'd bring them in and kind of show them how it was done. And, you know, invariably so that we could build up that force so that they could take care of themselves. Didn't work out so well, but, um, but that was the intent at the time, right? So, so, um, so it was a lot of great, great work. And, um, and I remember, uh, just feeling, I was really satisfied with everything that we did. Um, and again, that protection thing, going to that protection thing, one of our targets in Sutter City, uh, we, we, um, rolled up to it. And, and we'd switch, so it'd be Alpha, Bravo, Alpha, Bravo, Alpha, Bravo. You know, night after night, who's running the operations? So the platoon chief for Alpha would run the operations one night, and then we'd augment them while they're doing that. And then the next night, they'd augment us, you know, so, um, but I'd be running the operation, right? So, uh, and so, so, I remember, I remember on this one target, and this is the only reason I'm telling this right now is because of this protection thing that I'm going to talk about later that we kind of talked about last night. And, and we're on this target and it's tight. Like I'm in the top, I'm in the Humvee. I, I became qualified on the, um, was it 134, I think, the, the minigun. Mm. And so did the training on that because how can you not if if you're there and you get to man that thing because it's fucking awesome um a humvee mounted minigun is awesome what a great I asset got, I to have on the battle. battlefield the whole humvee rocks back when you shoot the thing 
So, oh man, that's awesome. And then those bullets are so close to each other that like it causes a vacuum. And so it'll suck all the dust up off of everything when you fire these rounds down. And so, so I'm like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm basically the, the, the line of death going down this road, right? Anything comes onto this road, we know it's hostile, right? So, and we had air and these types of things, but, but, uh, my guys were going into the, uh, this, this target here to pull these guys out. I had a guy literally right here, like that had, had a weapon and like, he's just hiding behind this wall here. I'm like, Hey, there's a dude over here. This is how I was like, there's, there's a dude right over there. You need to keep eyes on when he pops his heads up, pop it. And he's like, all right. You know, he starts throwing crash in there. Dude crawls back into the house and then him and his buddies start coming around and trying to, you know, cut across that road. It was just like, <laughs> and I couldn't see. And I'm like, so I'm locked on. And like, they're like, what are you shooting at, Ooch? And I'm like, I'm like, we had a couple of guys that were tactically moving on our team. And and then I go, and there was like this dude, like way the, way the hell down there. And I'm like, and he's like peeking out from behind this car. And I'm like, and, and I got to tell you, I, I thought, like, it, you got to understand, all these shots are calculated. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. And I'm like, does he have a weapon? Or is he just scared shitless? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I saw it. I saw the fucking weapon. And I was like, sorry, dude. Boop. Lit him up. And then and then, um, then rounds start coming in on my armor. And and I hear it. I hear it hitting the armor. And then I saw these these other guys come running across and you just keep opening up, you know, yeah. and and um, and then there was a guy standing in the street. And this is this is a testament to the to the meticulous nature of not just our guys, but the SF guys, the 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 CCT guys across the board. This is what I saw is is. Like there was a guy that came out, you know, and he's like crying and everything at something he saw behind the car that I had lit up. And, and I'm like, I don't see a weapon. I don't see a weapon. I was like, hey, do you see a weapon on this guy? And they're like, I was like, there's a dude in the middle of the street right now. Cause it was down there a little bit. And, and he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't see one. And we didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like it was like okay, just keep eyes on him. Let Vampire know that we, you know, that we got that guy and keep an eye on him. Let them have him. This was at eight still. Yeah. Teammate. Yeah. I heard the CEO over there at that time was just fucking phenomenal. Oh. Oh yeah. Yeah. Peluso. Sayer. Donnie Sayer. Yeah. Great too. I yeah. had Peluso, I had Sarah. I mean, both of those dudes were uh, Neil Guinan. I remember. Like, they were just, it was just amazing. Amazing. You guys were Sutton. Sarah was, Sarah was before. Sarah was when we were doing the PSD thing, I think. Okay. I remember hearing, because I got switched over to. But I know Peluso, I think Peluso came in after Sarah. 
and he was the one on this deployment. So, I remember hearing you guys were setting up basically targets where it looked like a fake ambush. It looked like you had just had been ambushed, like maybe a burning Humvee, set an Humvee on fire, lure these fuckers in. Yeah, we do all that kind of shit. That's awesome. We do hits on, on like low level targets. And then I don't want to talk about tactics. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if they're still using them. You know what I mean? Let's not talk about it. Yeah. Man. I don't know if they're still actively using that stuff. So, um, but it makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but I can confirm there was a lot of really cool stuff like that going on. Cool. Um, and we could talk offline about it. Uh, but, but, um, it was just, it was like a dream. It was a dream deployment, man. It was like, I had screened twice for Damn Neck, right? And, um, and long story short, I, I was told no twice. <laughs> uh, they said I was too high of a risk because of the fighting stuff and the, the my history of fighting and yeah. alcohol and all the, the stuff. It had been like five years, but... You know, it still it still was a factor, right? Yeah. Because of kind of the culture over there, right? So, so which I understand in hindsight. In hindsight, um, it was kind of good because because I got to go do that deployment. I wouldn't have got I wouldn't have been on that deployment. I wouldn't have gotten to do that. I would have got to do some other really cool shit. I'm sure, but um, but that was my path. You know, so so. Um, So yeah, I came back from that deployment and you know, you're like a lion on the Serengeti, man. And there's tons of stories that, that, that can be told there, but it's, but it's like, you're like the absolute purpose. When you go, when you go into a place where a guy is chopping off heads, setting it on the neighbor's porch and then threatening them that they're next any day and they don't know when it's coming and and they're actively helping you as an American. You know, when you go when you go remove that cancer, for me, there was this woman that had come out and, and she was trying to give me anything she could, anything she could, like bread, like, like just anything from her house, like, and, and just weeping after we got done and, and it was like, and when you, for me, it was, I locked with this person and it was like this, it was beautiful. It's the beauty of war that you don't get to see. It's like, you, you always focus on the violence and, and the destruction and all these types of things. But again, remember Glee Club kids still rolling around in there. I had completely forgotten about them, but still rolling around in there. And, and I locked with this woman and it was like this, this experience of death and life and hope and like that, that human experience of we just did this and, and they experienced what we've done. And there's such a profound gratuity that we did what we did. You know what I mean? And it's so justifying and it's so liberating. 
Like it, 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 it ameliorates any type of type of self-conscious, am I doing the right thing mentality when you experience something like that. At least it did for me. Yeah. You know, and and so so when you realize that there's no greater sense of purpose than that, that you're absolutely doing specifically what God created you to do. You are the hammer that you prayed to be for God's work. That's what I wanted. Like originally I had prayed to be God's sh the shield of God as EOD. Help me make it through this. I want to be the shield to, to protect the innocent that can't protect themselves from these weapons of war. But I didn't, but that was only part of my equation because I didn't quite fit in there. It didn't fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I knew I had to be with the other men that make up that spear. And then that's when everything made sense. Right? Not necessarily so much in my personal life. Like I said, it was still chaotic. You know, I'm still, you know, I was still coming out of all of that. It wasn't drinking or anything like that. Um, but, but I'm still coming out of all of that. Right. And, and to have that type of experience and that sense of purpose, and then you go home, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? What do we do? Now, what, what the fuck am I going to do with the rest of this? One AFRICOM? What? And you do your best, you know? And then you, well, come to find out, I kept having these, I kept having like these spasms in my back that would like literally make it so I couldn't turn my head for two weeks. Like, because everything's knotted up. And like, so I'm going in for injections to get, you know, for pain management clinics and these types of things. Again, Nobody putting two and two together. And, um, and so, uh, fast forward through that next workup, uneventful, not lackluster. I'm having, I'm having more and more problems sleeping. I'm up for four days at a pop, literally. More and more medications are starting to be put on. <clears throat> and, um, and all the while, I'd just taken custody of me, custody of uh, temporary custody of my son. And I was going in and I was going to these meetings with these attorneys and, you know, and, um, and his mother, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a painful time in life. So I got custody. Literally, I got that, that whole thing with my son happened like two weeks after that deployment. Holy right? shit, it was that fast? It was that fast. Damn. Two weeks after that deployment. So I'm going through that lack of a sense of purpose. So naturally, you know, protecting this child became the purpose. But I didn't know how, really. My other two children had bore the brunt of my service. They barely saw me. 
you know, I didn't have much of a relationship. Um, my daughter wasn't speaking to me. Um, and, <clears throat> and, and I understand where she was coming from. I really do, you know, because there, I, I didn't understand my, what, what was going on me. Nobody understood what was going on with me or us, I should say, because I know I wasn't alone, you know, and, and even when I was home, I, I, I couldn't be there. I don't know, you know, all the, all these types of things started adding up, you know, the disassociation from the pills and injury that we didn't know was a thing at the time. And, and, you know, it, it all kind of started to become this amalgam of a, a perfect storm that I alluded to that, that we're only just now tapping into. So, so everything that's going on right now is I can't sleep. My son, I've, I've got custody and they're threatening to put him in a home if I don't stop, if I deploy. And I'm getting ready to deploy. And so I have to go to the CMC and go, hey, they're threatening to put my son in a home if I deploy again. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do because of that choice. Invariably, I chose my son. We always say family first. We always say family first, right? But when I made that choice, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like people believed that. Yeah, I could say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They said they understood, but you can feel it. You know, you can feel like, oh, now you're going to leave us here with this and That's you can feel tough. you can feel the disappointment you can feel the the guys were fine everybody was fine everybody made it through i didn't have to bear the weight of like somebody getting killed because i wasn't there you know and somebody making a bad call yeah you know thankfully <laughs> still tough it was still to this day like i i haven't spoken to many of those guys um not I don't think it's anything because of that. I think everything would be fine. I really do. It was just I never I, I never really ever looked back. You know, I never really just tried to hang on to those to the past. It's like and that's been true with every a lot of relationships in my life. I never go back and like like if I'm the momentum's going this way, everybody there that's there for that ride, I enjoy that. I, I enjoy the richness of that and developing that for as long as I can you know don't get me wrong like every once in a while there's calls and you know we take catch up and stuff like that but but it's not like I have to I don't feel like I don't know I I just I just develop the new um the new in the now I, I guess that is the best way to put it um but now I'm I'm Getting ready to move over to the West Coast, having made that decision. I was the ops chief, you know, while the guys deployed and I managed everything and got, you know, just worked the desk job, you know, in preparation for moving over to the West Coast and trying to figure out what the hell it is we we're going to do, right? Um, 
And so they agreed to send me over to Bud's. You understand? I'd been I'd been on I'd been on uh, I'd never taken shore duty, and I was at like what fifteen years, Damn. something like that. I never took shore. Well, the EOD Det Norfolk was shore duty, I think, but that was like at the beginning of my Navy career. Shore duty for those listening that don't know, that's basically a job where you don't deploy, you stay home. Right, you stay home, do training, and we were area response in the uh, EOD Det Norfolk. Whew, I messed up a lot of stuff over there, <laughs> but um, but uh, but yeah. So so once I once I went to EOD Tech School, that was it, and that was in '93. So from '93 to 2008, I never had short duty. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of point. Yeah. So, oh, or training. You know, some of it was BUDS. Some of it was, you know, uh, EOD school. Um, and, and, but yeah, um, it, it was all C duty. Until the end, which was instructor duty. So, went out to BUDS uh, to get, as, as I, as I, was in that transition, I started to really notice some stuff going on with my body, right? Like I was gaining weight and I couldn't figure out why. I didn't, I was still having problems sleeping. And I didn't know, I didn't know uh, what was going on. And so um, I wound up, once I got out to the West Coast, I started to... Um, I was a third phase instructor, demo instructor, and uh, that lasted all of about, I think, what, a year max before they get they fired me. <laughs> what did they fire you for? <laughs> I still think it was a great training thing, but to be quite honest with you, um, I. <clears throat> I went in there and, and having the explosive experience that I had, um, I wanted to make things better. And at the time, that's not what they wanted. They just wanted somebody that was gonna go in there, run the demo program as is, and not just just run the demo program. Don't make any waves, Don't, just, yeah, just keep it going. Just let's just keep this going. We've got a good, you know, humming along type of routine here. Don't make any waves, you know, and so, um, got out to the island and again, I couldn't sleep, remember? And I've got my boy with me uh, and and I had two properties like back on the East Coast, remember it's 2008, that the mortgages had inverted. And so like I couldn't, I couldn't fill them, nobody rent, nobody, you know, and so I had to declare bankruptcy. You know, so that's going on as well. My son is having really bad symptoms of trauma, right? And he's doing things at school that are um, inappropriate, and and so we had to um, we had to we had to address all that. So for a while, he was a special needs case. That's how bad it was. Damn. Yeah, and so. Whew, 
I promise this has a, a, a there's a pot of gold at this black rainbow. <laughs> this, 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 it, it, there, there truly is. Um, and this isn't a woe is me story. I have to paint this. I have to paint this picture in this way so that I can reach the people that are in this situation now, that are feeling this now, so that they know that there is absolutely a way to come out of this. And it doesn't use a lot of pills. It doesn't use, it's, you can do it under your own power. And, and, and it's to establish hope and light in the darkness is what it is. So, so that's why this is the way it is. That's why I'm telling this story. Um, I just, for some reason, felt like I needed to tell, say that so that you have it. So, um, so I got fired from MUDS. Because, because there was two students sleeping on watch. You got to understand, third phase is designed to be, um, to to be treated like it's a fob, a forward operating base, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of going out there, is that you're learning how to operate outside of a fob, you know, and then come back, and that's that's kind of developing that in the psyche. So when we go do what we do, we kind of get it, right? Yeah. Oh, this is familiar, you know. So, so that's what we're doing. Well, these Slipknots, <laughs> uh, one one is on his iPhone, like at four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. I'm coming out of the Hellbox, and I see, and I look, and I go, uh, one's asleep, and one's on his phone, just kind of doing whatever. So I was like, okay. So I go back into the hell box, which is the instructor's, you know, area, and I grab, I grab a M4, paint rifle, blue blue barrel, and I light them up, right? Paying attention to their eyes and all these types of things. I, I shot them in the back of the calves, kept everything low. There was a desk, so any ricochets wouldn't hit them in the face. I, I wasn't just completely, you know. <laughs> You know, so, so, but, but I let them up and they're standing there and I'm like, so, what's the most expensive thing that you guys are protecting right now? You know, this is a fob, right? And they're like, yes, chief. And I'm like, okay, this is a fob. And what's the most expensive thing you're protecting on this fob? And the guy's like. One guy goes, the weapons. Another guy's like, no, the demo. I'm the demo instructor. The demo. And I'm like, guys, we have absolutely failed you. This training has absolutely failed you. I'd be pissed. What about those guys that are sleeping in that fucking hut over there in case harm's way comes? What's to stop me from going in there and killing every one of those dudes? Sound? Oh, sound? Really, sir? I grab a Sharpie. I, I take the lid off. I go, follow me. And I fucking draw a line across every other dude's necks while he's asleep. I was like, go try it. See how easy it is when they trust you. He's like, I don't want to do that. I was like, no, you need to do it to see how easy it is. And you'll never forget it. He goes in, he does it. I was like, well, he's like, 
you could see the weight of it on him. And I was like, all right, go on. Go to the beach, grab your shit, go to Camp Stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Grab two other dudes, put them on watch. Without saying shit to them, without saying shit, these kids put watch on the watch with a radio. They set an OP on the watch so that they could, now they're thinking like seals, right? They put watch on the watch so they could see and report what's going on. They put early warning devices on the doors and windows of the barracks. So if you come in, like knock shit over and like wakes everybody up without telling them how, you know? Invariably, you know how the, uh, anyway. Um, so, so, so those dudes were excited about that training point. They were like, holy shit. They were talking about it. I thought all of Bud's was going to be like this. I thought it was going to be like this the whole time. It's fucking awesome. No right? shit. Well, one of the, one of the other guys heard it. And now understand I'm, I'm not easy to be around at this point. I'm not. Yeah. And I know it. I knew I was a ticking bomb. It was only going to take the... That's why they stuck me on the fucking island. I just put them on the fucking island. <laughs> you know? I was a ticking bomb. I knew it. I could feel it. Like all it was going to take was the wrong, you know, indiscretion. You know, somebody grabbing a woman or or doing something and it was always towards that it was never like i'm just gonna go nuts it was always towards like injustice type stuff like crime and these types of things and like you know people it, it was always in a protecting type of thing that was the biggest thing it was always like i always wanted to protect and and that's what drove all of it might not look like that but it was um and so, so, and, and my way of training people, yeah, it's outside the box. I, to this day, I still thought that was a really good training point. I think it is. You know, but, but, but I, I feel like because I think outside the box on how that, that training went, I feel like we can have, we can have a better product at the end of the day. And that just didn't fit, you know, at the end of the day, it just didn't fit with what was going on around me. And that's, that's on me, my situational awareness on how to be more additive to what was going on was not there. You know, it was like, it should be like this, you know, let me show you, yeah. it's going to be like this. And it broke a bunch of rules, right? So, so they moved me over to ATC. Um, and, um, they, they, uh, and, and I did the combatives program over at ATC. And now I'm really starting to have some neurological stuff going on. I can't lift my arm. Like I'm having a hard time lifting my arm. Um, I lost 80 pounds of grip. I'm down to 80 pounds of grip strength on this hand and then like 220 on this one. And, and I'm like going, what? I'm taking hard rights when I get out of chairs, you know, and, and falling and like losing my balance. I'm like, what the fuck? going on and uh how the fuck are you going to teach combatives in that condition uh i didn't think about it at the time it seemed like a good fit 
<laughs> All right. Basically, once again, let's put him in the combatives room, lock the yeah. door, show up twice a day, teach boxing in the morning, teach boxing uh, in the afternoon to the platoons. And then, like, I helped write the striking, the standing striking portion of our combatives manual and stuff like that, right? And, um, and it was great. You know, it was fantastic. I loved it. It was great. Then um, there was a change of guard, and, and they put me in maritime operations. Didn't work out so well. And I just kept focusing on combatives. But I was too combative for combatives. And they didn't want me to teach it anymore. So hmm. the platoons did, but the people running the show didn't. Basically, long story short, somebody was talking. One of the instructors were talking in the background while I was up there teaching. I took them. I know it sounds I took a pat and I was like whoa hit him in the face with it and I was like shut the fuck up I'm teaching what are you doing and I went on about and and kept teaching right it didn't work out so well like my my way of doing things on the east coast didn't work on the west coast yeah uh, very well so um which is fine you know which is fine and so so um, what I wound up doing is I was in maritime operations and I was being medically discharged now. Now they had, they had identified that, uh, at some point in my career, um, they're like, okay, because all this shit that was going on, they're doing neurological tests, ulnar nerve tests and all these, you know, sticking these needles in your arm to see if you're getting conductivity. And I wasn't. And they're like, okay, um, and so in 2009, uh, they identified that at some point I had a fracture of my C5 vertebra. And, and it was more than likely from the IED. I don't know. But at some, that's the main thing that I think it could have been. Um, but who knows? Because there's so much. Yeah. There's so much. You know, who knows where it really was. And, and, so in 2009, I had neurosurgery to address a lot of these issues and, and to great success. It was only supposed to last. Dr. Toomey Allen was his name. And it was only supposed to last like five to 10 years. And I've been, I'm still pretty damn good, you know. Um, God did a phenomenal job. Normally they go in the front and they rip everything open and then they solder everything up. And, but he had this new way of doing things where you use these telescoping rods that open up the space so he can perform the surgery with, you know, so my recovery time was like, well, would have been like, um, probably like a month or something like that. But, but, but it got infected. So, Oh shit. <laughs> so I was just going to ask you if that was like immediate relief, but it was immediate relief. It was like after the surgery, like, like before the surgery, he pushed down on my, on my elbow and it was just like, boom, nothing. After I could hold him, like I can hold him there. He's like, yeah. Nice. You know, and everything, I was like, yes, it's fantastic. So they just had to dremel out some of the, you know, because it grew back wrong. It was never addressed. It, it the bone grew up around the nerve root or something like that in the foraminal space and clamped it off. So he just had to go in there and dremel out the bone and create the space so that the signal could get through again. It was great. 
Um, so now I'm recovering from neurosurgery. I'm on 13 different medications, and and I'm st- but I'm still I'm sorry I messed up the timeline here because I was still teaching, I was still teaching uh, buds at this time because after that when I was recovering, I I started having this pharmaceutically induced cardiac arrest on the Holy island. Holy shit! And I remember, yeah, yeah, so that timeline's off a little bit, but you get the gist. So, so I, I remember I'm like, I I had come off the plane. I just got there for the weekend and I was doing the weekend watch for the, for the class. And, and I'm walking across the grinder and then all of a sudden it was just like, boom. And I fall on my back and I'm like, and I could feel it, dude. It's like, I could feel it and I'm sweating and I'm like, fuck. And then all the students come up to me and they're like, holy fuck, chief. You look gray. What, what's going on? I was like, I'm dying, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they're like, what do you want us to do? I was like, nothing. It's okay. You got plenty of witnesses here that heard me say so don't do anything because it was it, it was it was the first time and it's the first time i felt relief it was the first time i felt like peace and i gotta tell you like and i know there's other people out there that have felt this they ha- it has to be because that's kind of what the system does like the medical system was doing at the time is is that they give you so many pills that you don't feel anything or, and, and that is infinitely worse than feeling depression. Like feeling nothing, like absolutely nothing. Yeah. That's a complete disconnection of soul. Like it felt like to me, it felt like to me, like I had used, I felt like, I, I felt like a husk. Like a, like an empty shell, and 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 as I laid there, I I was just I was just like, finally, finally, I finally get to go. That's what that's what life was to me. Was, I can finally get the fuck out of here. Maybe that's why I wasn't afraid. Yeah. Because that was always there. Ever since I was 11. Maybe it was always there still. And that's why it was just like, so what? Like, that's why there was no, maybe that's why. I don't know, you know? But I didn't die. And I finally started to feel something though. It was fury. I was so like anger doesn't cover it. It it was, it was, I was so enraged by, by the people, the system that was in place that was killing me when I trusted them to make me strong again, to, to figure out what was going on with me. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. I'm not blaming anybody, but that's what I felt. Right. And, and, 
it was, I, so I revolted against the system. What I got that? myself off of all those fucking pills, which don't fucking do, do that shit with a doctor because I started really having like psychotic type of shit coming off those fucking mind altering drugs, right? And and I was like, like, like I get this brain buzz, like getting off of, it was the weirdest things, dude. Like now suicide's like in the forefront because everything's, it, it's crazy. And that wasn't an option, but, but it accelerated everything I had been feeling before. And that's kind of when I found um, Doc Potterat. You know, I was like, I had found Doc Potterat earlier, but that's where I really started to, to, to re really open up to him. Like, I don't know what's going on, this is that and the other, blah, blah, blah. You know, I had seen him when I first got out there because it was continuity of, of care kind of because we had started doing something like that at SEAL Team 8. There was a psychologist that was at SEAL Team 8 that I was talking to that started started that whole medication thing. And um, and when I got the Potterat, um, that was it was uh, that's when that's when it really started to help, I feel like. Like when I talked to when I when I talked to Doc Potterat, uh, he was the guy that that really started helping me hone in on he, he kind of let me go do my own thing. Like like he just gave some guidance along the way. Like he supported me and me ferreting out um, in the new CMC that was at Trade Ed at the time. Also, I owe my life to because because he afforded me. And this is a, this is kind of what happens in our community. You see it through all of your other guests. There's blood in the water. There's blood in the water. There's a seal that's not doing the seal job. He's at trade it, and he's focused on, you know, fixing something that's wrong with him. And they're after it. They're after that. They, they attack it. I don't know what that is in our community. Yeah. You know, instead of supporting it and helping people to get strong again. Um, not everybody, because there were some that did, like that that Master Chief supported it. And I'm glad he did, because it saved my life. You know, he's phenomenal. I, I, I have nothing but love for that man. And, and my family as well. What do you think it is about the community? I think maybe it's a, um, it's just, I mean, it's kind of baked into the creation of the community about being hard and strong and going and performing and performing. If you can't perform, get the fuck out of the way yeah. type thing. You know what I mean? Because we have a mission to accomplish. And it's not that it's wrong, it's, but, but I came from the East Coast where I had a pretty good reputation, I think. And, and, and nobody even looked into that. Nobody even looked into what the, 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 the resume, so to speak, like, like nobody even really knew, nobody even dug deep enough to, to see what the fuck's going on with this guy. Yeah. In particular, third phase chief, you know, he, 
He didn't like go, who's this guy I'm getting? What, what the fuck's making it tick? And how can I help him? How can I help this guy that's coming to me? You know, how can I help this other chief? He was a senior chief. Yeah. You know, how can I help this guy? Do you think maybe everybody in the shore duty position is going through something like you and they just don't fucking care about anything Could else? be. They're just could pissed be. off all the time? Could be. Very well could be. Maybe they're in their twilight tour. They're about to get out. They don't give a flying fuck anymore. They, they, they just want to get the job done, go home to their families, which I totally get. Yeah. I totally get it. You know? But... That, that was the experience there. So I revolted against the system. I revolted against, I didn't want to go in and talk about my stuff, like my negative shit anymore. You know, I didn't want to go in and talk about, you know, you know, fill out the, 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 the synopsis sheet for the new J.O. since my, the people I was talking to every two months rotate out and I have to restart all again, you know. It's a training center after all, Balboa. So I just stopped, you know, and I started to do things that made me feel better. I started to do things that made me feel better in the past that it, I found effective for me in the past for performance wise. I want to get back into like, I want to get, you know, strong again. And, um, because I was having a hard, a sluggish time coming out of the surgery, and like, I was at, I was like two hundred ninety pounds, bro. Holy shit! And I couldn't lose weight. I didn't know what was going on. I was in metabolic syndrome. My adrenal system shut down. My thyroid took up the functions of my adrenals. Nobody had done a, nobody had done a hormone panel on me. Um, nobody had done a hormone panel on me that entire time. It wasn't something that we were doing. And, and so the first one I had was when I got out, I paid for it out of pocket, but, but all of those things, I just, I, I just, I started with rolfing. Do you know what rolfing is? I don't. I've heard you talk about it, but I still don't fully understand it. It's like torture, but nobody asks you any questions because, because when you, so your muscles, they operate within a sheath. You ever open up a, a, an orange and you see all the white stuff yeah. inside that kind of holds the pieces of the orange together? The pieces of the orange, that film, yeah. that's, that's fascia, right? And we have that in our body. Rip beef jerky, those fibers, those white kind hmm. of fibers, yeah. that's fascia, okay? So, so we have that in our bodies and it, it, it holds the track of where our muscles slide through it. Think of it like a sheath for a sword. Okay. Okay? Well, through injury or repetitive use, scar tissue can cause that, that sheath to adhere to the sword. Okay. okay? And so what they do is they anchor the fascia with an elbow, a knuckle, something hard, and with a lot of pressure, they anchor it, and they slowly move as you flex the muscle and tear the scar tissue so that it can slide again and the okay. body can come back into alignment. It's pretty fucking painful, right? And, but it, on, the, on the back end of it, it's, it's a tremendous 
Um, it's a tremendous technique for increasing performance, ameliorating pain, and and just you can you can literally have um, emotions come out because it's held. The issues are in the tissues, right? You've heard that before, I'm sure. So so um, from there, I found acupuncture. And because acupuncture is what it is, I started finding out about yoga and meditation. And I'm like, huh, let me go try that out. And, and so I wound up in Bikram yoga and I was doing that like every morning, maybe twice a day sometimes and double sessions. And, and I was like, you know, the first time I walk in there, there's like this five foot woman on the stage. And she's like, if it's anybody's first class, I'm like mine. And she's like, okay, your whole goal is to not leave the room. And I'm like, it sounds like my kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, so, so I'm in there and I'm doing it. And within like 20 minutes, I'm just like this puddle on the floor, like going, ah, you know, cause it's so, cause you gotta understand it's like a hundred, what is it? 120 degrees in that room, Damn. something like that. And you're doing the yoga. And if you push too hard, you're, you're done, you're done. So. Over time, I got really good at that, but I, I still had this, I still had this thing that I was trying to fix in my heart, like like it was this vortex of, like it was just this emptiness, right? Physically, I start I'm starting to get better and stronger, um, but but emotionally, I, I'm still stagnating in this in this place, and I'm in and. I start finding out about far infrared spectrum therapy, flotation therapy, sensory deprivation tanks, these types of things, reflexology. I'm doing everything, man. Like I'm on a quest now. Now I'm on a quest. I've had a glimmer of, you know, experiences in the yoga where like I'm about to heat exhaustion out, where I'm seeing things and I'm like, like having these, um, these very profound events right and and so so i started to i started to um uh that very same master chief got me involved in in near the very end where i was getting medically discharged because i never came back up online i still have vestibular damage ulnar nerve damage these types of things and if i come up from a dive i'm 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 already like age symptoms and shit. you yeah. know what i mean so if i come out of the back of a plane you know, and, and I get dizzy, uh, I have a vestibular thing and I run into somebody, that's no good either, right? Yeah. So, so um, it disqualified me and invariably it's like, okay, let's just go. Like, let's just get out, you know? And, um, and so they, they processed me out. But in that process, right there at the end, Master Chief had me go to this, um, this thing called TRE, which is tension release exercises, where where we actually initiate what's called a neurogenic tremor that you know systemically goes and and works out injuries um, by using this biomechanical um, this biomechanical reaction that we have as mammals. All mammals have it. Um, and basically, if after you've had a major shock, you know how people are shaking. Yeah. That's called a neurogenic tremor. And that's discharging stress from the system via the central nervous system, right? Does that work? Yeah. No shit. Yeah, it works. I'll run you through it. I'll run you through it. You know, you'd be like, what? 
Um, but for me, and that's a longer, that's a big sidebar, but, um, so, so I found some effect in that. And, um, and so, but while I was there, more importantly, while I was at that training, I heard somebody talking in the corner about this master shaman. And I immediately was like, what did you say something about a master shaman? And they're like, yeah, his, his name's Don Diego. He's out of Peru and he has 160,000 acres of protected rainforest that you go into. And, you know, it's like a month long. And, you know, and I was like, oh, and it's ayahuasca and you're doing ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a very powerful DMT type of experience, a prolonged DMT. And I'm like, that sounds like what I'm supposed to, like in my heart, I was like, I could feel like I have to go do that. I have to go meet this shaman. And so I did. And, and from that experience, like the things that I experienced there, and this guy was a master, master. Like, it's a very long story. I could probably write a book about it, you know, but the books are already out there, you know, you know, um, Carlos Castaneda's wrote them but but it's it's very real he's very disciplined he makes you sit up and meditate while you're doing it he's he's and he's the real deal and invariably he is the guy he is the guide that showed me (laughs) showed me what's what truth is all about and that truth guided me to this master that i study with today named Nadijivan that teaches out of the Rama Institute in Los Angeles. So So this guy's got 160,000 acres in Peru. It's not his. Okay. He, he was the protector of it. So he gave it back to the people a long time ago. He's no longer he, he's no longer doing it there. Um, so but um, so you fast forward a little bit here and then I found, I found this system, it's called Kundalini Yoga. And for me, it, the easiest way to describe it, it's a martial art for your mind. And, and it's the science of prayer is what it is. And it's all based upon science. So, so it's a system that, that utilizes... So, so if you think of, if you think of uh, matter and in our reality... It's all made of what? Atoms. Atoms, which are what? Electronic particles, right? Yeah. Electricity is measured in what? Frequency, right? Mm -hmm. So when you hear people say frequency, this is one of the things I want to do is break down the stigma around when I say you have to hit the certain frequency to do. What I'm talking about is power. What else is measured in frequencies? Radio waves. Sound. Very good. Sound. Sound. Power. Sound. Power. What our thoughts are. Neurons. Electrical. Our, our atomic structure. Synced with our sound. Unified with our sound. Our breath is a what? If a frequency is a sine wave, right? Yeah. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, 
exhale, mm. right? Yeah. It's also a frequency. You see where I'm going here? Yeah. So we unify all, what's our heartbeat? A frequency. Yeah. And more than one, like how many beats per minute is a frequency per minute and the electrical charge. Those are all frequencies. The central nervous system is the wiring system for the whole thing. You see, yeah. it's not, it's all science. So if we learn how to breathe at a accelerated frequency, if we expand our rib cage, if we expand our capacity in our rib cage, we develop the power of our diaphragm. We increase the partial pressure of oxygen in our system at a frequency at a, that, that starts to get a pulse going in the body that gets the glandular system, the pineal, the hypothalamus, the pituitary. All of those start secreting hormones because of the, the different frequencies that we have in the body through the sound. Sound creates that. Our frequency of breath creates that vibration in the body. It gets the cerebral spinal fluid going. And then everything's unifying. All of those different frequencies, we unify those frequencies. And that's where we start to have the bigger experiences of life because we have increased the partial pressure of oxygen. We accelerate healing. We increase our ability to focus. We have a higher quality of thought. If we have more power in the system, we have more power in the system of thought. And in that more power of the system thought, it's a higher frequency of thought, right? Because it's fueled by more oxygen, we can have better focus, better discipline, better everything. We start being able to sustain more in our lives because we are consistent in our frequency of practice that allows us to develop a mental capacity that can, that can have an awareness, that has the uh, awareness to realize what's not ours and what is. And now here's where I start breaking off into the, the higher levels of things. But, but as we start to develop the awareness, that subconscious thought, we gain a conscious awareness of the subconscious thoughts that don't serve us. And then through this system, because as we're realizing it, that realization is, the, is those thoughts leaving. So if anybody's getting ready to go do any type of psychedelic experience or, any, or engage in a Kundalini uh, yoga practice at the Rama Institute, yeah, there's a lineage there. So I wanna be very clear right now, is that, is that there's a lot of different Kung Fu's out there but only certain ones have a very powerful lineage that are really effective, right? So what I'm learning at the Rama Institute in Los Angeles from my teacher, Adi Jeevan, is by far the most powerful form of meditation that you can get. There's a lot of different things that, there, there's a lot of different systems out there that work, okay? And I've tried a lot of them. I've tried a lot of them for long, prolonged periods of time because I was on this quest of, of, of seeking all of this, right? And this is by far the fastest. Can we go back for just a second? You, you were talking about 
getting rid of the subconscious thought the conscious can you oh yes revisit that? so 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 as we develop an awareness of the subconscious thought that subconscious thought will release things from our past into our conscious mind okay you know what i'm saying i do so now. so things that we've been holding on to come up in the subconscious mind but the trick is is to realize is that that's it leaving but you don't even really know that they're fucking there and you don't know you a don't lot know. of times You're, everybody else might know <laughs> yeah yeah you don't like i've had stuff come up from my childhood you know abuse stuff these types of things and i'm going to tell you something and this is why i went through all of this story with you is so that i can get to this point right now is is that those times where there was an intervention we can through this system we can absolutely and on this path this whole path our life experience our life experience it's it's laden with adversity to, so that we can develop the strength to 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 use it to develop the strength that we need to truly fulfill our purpose that we came here for and for me military service and and all of that stuff that i talked about was just the 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 beginning of what the true purpose is i am a walking testament to the power of this system this lineage of teachings that i now teach there's 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 things I've experienced in this that that you you read about in books. Like master I'm talking like I'm sane. I'm a sane person. I'm just conveying what I have experienced to be true. And that is the why I am alive. That is the why I do what I do. I use creativity now and we'll get into this in a minute. But I use creativity now to broadcast that. And you're affording me the ability to do that here. You're allowing me to show what is possible. I am an example of what is possible. Anybody that knew me, and anybody, anybody that knew me in the past will, will be like, I don't recognize that guy. Or I vaguely recognize that guy. I can be a testament to that. For sure it's i am the same person that person's there i am that person you're witnessing what you're witnessing is and i want to correct that fallacy it's not that i'm not the same guy it's that what you're seeing is what is possible in one life the complete expanse of light and darkness in one human experience and i'm not even there all like wait till we see let's revisit this in five years watch watch because what i've gained is this and there, there's some really hard stuff to still go through but it's a testament to to the power of this and what i've experienced i've gained the ability to take everything out of here and move it to here. When we have an event that occurs to us, 
when we have an event that happens to us in life, a lot of times we try to analyze why did this happen? How did this happen? Why can, you know, there's a time for that, but we have to, and, and, and we do need to analyze certain things at certain times. But invariably, in the case of trauma, we get stuck there and it's stuck in the head and we never fully process it. We, we run away from it, we drink it, we fight it, we fuck it, we, we eat it, we, anything to do to, to, to outside of ourselves to try to not see that, to be that, to own that. And that's what the problem is. Nobody teaches us how to look inside of ourselves. And the people that do teach it, they write off as hippies, or they write off as spiritual fanatics, or they try to discredit and say that, you know, they've done all these horrible things in their past. Yeah, so did the 12 apostles. You see, mm -hmm. all throughout history, Anybody that's brought any type of enlightenment to the planet, they've been attacked. So don't fall into those traps. Don't fall into those traps because those are all people external to us trying to dictate our internal narrative. That's what all the fear broadcast is. That's what all of the look like this, be like this, have to attain this. That's what all that shit is, is to keep you distracted so that you go through life without ever realizing who you truly are and what your true power is. Because holy shit, if you realize what your true power is, all this pain goes away. All the fear goes away. All the hate, all the judgment, all of it goes away. And you realize that all those, and you've heard this. You've heard this from masters. And you start to realize that all of those other people are you. They're us with just different layers of experience on them. Different tones of life. And that's, that's the journey to experience that life, that life force, that very thing, tune into that very life force that we are, the core of that and follow that that's all internal. That's all internal work. That's the martial art. That's the chi. That's the kundalini. That's the power. That's the force. And that's what I teach, is how to find it. I try to replicate my journey, and not just the veterans, and, and with um, one of your subscribers but but it, it's not just the military I'm on a journey for all this is a journey of all for all by all of us because and 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 I wasn't always this way I had I had I had started down this thing and I did this thing with the shaman and I found this master, I found this master, and this is, this is real. This absolutely happened to me. I'm gonna share something with you. 
There'll be skeptics out there. To be honest with you, that's fine. It's always there's always going to be skeptics. You know, the guy talked about being on all these drugs. He might not be stable. He might be right. No, no, man. This is absolute truth, and I'm going to share this story. There's so many of them. Like this is one of you, you got to understand. This is this is the first experience I had, but it was by far not the last. So much so that it has become the normal. It has become the normal, the new landscape of what reality is to me. And it's there for everybody. It's there right now. I'm not asking anybody to believe anything right off the get-go. I'm not asking anybody to believe. I don't work in beliefs. I don't. I work off of experiences. This is a system of experiencing oneself. That's it, right? And so, and now we're into the stage where we talk about the power of what is possible when we start to implement this lineage of Kundalini Yoga that I've learned at the Rama Institute. The first class I ever went to, I'm laying there and they play this gong. Like, like, so, so like you said, everything's made of atoms, right? So NASA, did you listen to this? Mm-hmm. Did you listen to this? The so, gong? The, oh, the NASA the thing? The NASA thing. I couldn't get it to work. Ah! Yeah, I okay. tried, I couldn't get it to work. All right, I'll play it for you after we get out of here. Are you on Spotify or anything I am, like that? I they don't have it So anybody out there listening, if you're on Apple iTunes or Spotify or something like this, NASA has recorded sounds of atomic vibration, the electromagnetic field of an atomic vibration of planets, of the cosmos. You can listen to this. It, just Google NASA symphony, just NASA symphony, and it'll probably populate your search bar. All right. They say sound doesn't travel through space, but it actually does. And NASA has recorded it and, and tuned it to a, a level that we can hear with our ears, right? So, atoms vibrate. The vibration makes a certain sound. That sound of the cosmos that NASA has recorded sounds almost identical to what you get from a gong when properly played by a kundalini yoga teacher in this lineage, right? So when my, when my master, Hari Jeevan, plays the gong, it sounds like the vibration of the cosmos. It's almost like you're like, holy, except that it's been around for 10,000 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. And so, and so, how's that coming to play? Talk to any of the team guys that have been in my live shops on on what happens when that's played properly. They'll tell you. But for me, my first experience with it, I'm laying there, and it felt like it felt like a lid, like the lid of like a 
a pot or something fell open on the top of my head and all this cool air started coming in into my body I, I oh shit. trust me i'm a team guy and i'm in such a space to where i'm sitting there and like all these people are wearing turbans and everything and i'm like uh, i'm very uncomfortable but i'm getting over my own shit and like they they may have something i have to find out you know what i mean yeah i laid there and this gong's being played and I'm just like, ah, you know what I mean? And, and then this person comes up and whispers next to me, you're going to spread this energy across the globe. And I'm like, Ugh! and nobody's fucking there, dude. It was like they whispered it in my ear. I shit you not. I'm like, I get done. I can't drive for like two hours. I feel intoxicated. I'm like, I can't even fucking drive. I'm like, what the hell just happened? I was like, I finally found it. I knew I found it now. I knew I had found what I was looking for. I was like, what was that? And I go up to the teacher and I'm like, I'm like, look, you have this teacher training coming up. I, like, I want to, I want to go to this teacher training. They're like, you don't want to go here. I, I, she may have even waved her fingers with this Jedi thing. I, I swear, dude, I'm like, I can't make this up. And, and she's like, she's like, you don't want to come here for training. You want to go see Huddy Jeevan. And I'm like, Huddy Jeevan, Dagobah system. Got it. And, uh, and so I go in and there's like, I thought there was a couple of turbans before. Now everybody's got turbans. The instructors got turbans. I'm like, I'm like, I'm sitting up against the, the back wall, like my back in a corner. Like, I got a bad, right? You know, my back's in a corner. I'm like fucking watching everybody and shit, just kind of observing. And they're like, okay. And we do this exercise, breath of fire, and we start. We start doing the thing. The teacher stops, looks at me. Never met this person before in my life. This is absolute truth, bro. You see that I'm like, no, this is absolute truth. This isn't some illusion. This is like me and you right now. No. This person stops, looks at me and says, you'll spread this energy across the globe. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I just start going into it. And I was like, boom, I'm here. I'm done. And like, and everything took off from there as far as teaching and everything. And so those types of events have become commonplace. They become commonplace. And what I've learned in the last eight years, eight plus years of teaching now and practicing this is that, is that there's a whole other reality and it's, and it's right, it's right there. It's right there. It's existed in all times of our experience in life. It's something that we cannot be separate from. And that's what causes pain. That's what causes the pain because it's always there. And the pain is, is that we know that there's something there. 
somewhere. We know something's there, but we don't know how to get to it. So we ignore it. We learn how to ignore it. We learn how to not listen. We learn how to not hear. We learn, we learn how to not live. The system is so powerful. And so effective. That it can take the most debilitating pain and make you grateful for it. My son, the one I took emergency custody of, passed away. And, and what I've realized is is it was one of the most profound blessings that can exist. Invariably, the very thing I tried to save him from, he succumbed to. And um, he passed away from a lethal dose of fentanyl. And what I saw in the system of meditation as I processed that grief was just an answer of, of, of a question I had always been asking but never knew I was asking it. Could I love? Was I able to? Because as I was able to move all of the noise in the mind of why into here and just bear myself to the experience of that pain, of a pain that indescribable, limitless blessing of pain. 
that I realized that the, that grief was an aspect of love and an answer a resounding answer of yes I felt it and as I continue to go along and with that gift because because of that gift I realized the profound nature of his life we have the inherent ability when we achieve a certain level of consciousness to where we are no longer we are no longer in a reactive passive going through life type of situation we're now actively controlling life not what's happening out here in life but life our life force Through this journey and these meditations, we can revisit. Well, it will happen. It's a byproduct. We don't have to try to do it. Things will come up from our past. I see the child, the alone child. I always felt the presence as that child. I remember what I talked about. I always felt the presence of God. I've always connected to that. I've also had a connection that didn't match what the, the religious teachers were saying. It was different. They were teaching me that there's a separation between me and God, but I didn't feel that separation. I never felt that separation. And what my teacher has guided me to through this specific lineage is that experience and time every moment exists at all times like a book if you can you can flip to the beginning of the book you can flip to the end of the book. But when you hold that book, every aspect of time in that story exists at all times in that book. Timelines are the same thing. And we can sit in one and visit another in our minds. That's what memories are. <clears throat> so can you access that? I can. We all can. And it happens naturally. In a meditative state, things will come up. And when we have gained that ability 
to broadcast unconditional love. When we gain that ability to broadcast unconditional love into and over these memories in our mind, we rewrite our perceptions of what those memories are. And when we rewrite the perceptions of what the memories are, the whole foundation begins to come to a higher level. And then our lives go from, man, I had this fucked up ass childhood. I had all this shit happen to me to, I had everything I absolutely needed to become a manifestation of the purpose in this life. And that's going to be completely different in myriad in nature for every life across the spectrum. And then we get to pick and choose. And then as we start to have those experiences, the external will completely change. It will completely change to reflect the attainment that we have within ourselves. I'm a walking example of that. I'm a walking example of that. Of a guy that Kirk Parsley, the medical, the group medical guy got on stage at Marcus's event for vets a couple of weeks ago, said that I was the worst case of operator syndrome that he's ever met, that he'd ever seen. He didn't know what to do. To fast forward to where I'm sitting in front of this guy that I spent hundreds of hours in front of talking, trying to figure things out. And I'm sitting like I hadn't seen him for a long time. I saw him out in town. We're talking. And I told him, you know, I was, he had no idea. He had no idea who he was talking to. He said he kept trying to place it. He couldn't figure out who he was talking to. Who's, who is this guy? I can't figure out who this guy is. And when I told him, he was floored. And so we started together to try to replicate what I had experienced. This isn't recent. This is back in 2000, the end of 2012 or something like that. I, I was already out. But that's, that's just from the beginning of it. Mm. Didn't recognize me. <clears throat> if I didn't have this, if I didn't have this practice, I couldn't have had, I couldn't have had the ability, and there's a much, and I am making this succinct because there, there's a lot of things that did occur through the processing of my son's death that continue to occur that that we'll reserve for another time. But are, are the types of things that, that you truly read about in books. 
And it's become the norm. Like I, I, it's become the normal. It is the normal. Well, can can you? I gained an ability. I I I saw. I saw things. I experienced things. <laughs> I experienced things that went from my mind into and corroboration with nature because I was sitting in the mountains of San Diego at the Seafort Ranch. Beautiful land, beautiful place to heal. If there's anybody in our community, like reach out to those guys because there's something enchanted about that land. It's incredible. The C4 Ranch, you've heard of the C4 Foundation? Yeah. Yeah. I've not been there. I've heard, I've heard about it. <sighs> it's good. Um, but went out there to process this, and I was in meditation for like five, six hours, you know, and, and just learning, sitting with my son, you know, communing with my son. And, and there's a lot of corroborations between what was happening here and what was happening out here in nature. Um, and that's as deep as I'll go into it for now. But, but at the end of the day, huh, at the end of the day, just know that there is a system and a way for anyone, no matter where you're at, to find absolute truth within yourself that, that will fuel, that will f be, become the fuel of, of a, a, a purpose that that you can't begin to, begin to even comprehend the expansiveness of. The whole, the whole trick of life, the whole, not trick, but the whole purpose is to experience the infinite within the finite, right? We wanna experience the infinite within the finite, and it begins with our life force. You know, it begins and ends with our life force, right? We get so many breaths on this planet. We want to be, make sure that those breaths are quality breaths. And by ensuring that they're quality breaths, we're going to ensure that the vehicle taking us through this journey is going to last us for as long as we need to be able to fulfill the purpose that I'm referring to. Because when it's done, it's all about how much love did you spread. That's the game. How much love did we spread? In this experience, I found that I can be you know, we talked about, like, what do I do after all this service and everything? What do I do? Like, what's my purpose now? The realization is, is that 
I can be infinitely more effective using the power of creativity, the source of creativity to affect life. If I understand that the destructive power that I wielded in the past is just as important. Without, without, without shadows, your picture's flat. There's no form. We have to have shadow. We have to have the negative. It's a polarity. It's a simple, it's a very simple concept. We have, for power to flow, we have to have polarity. And we draw from both. And I think that's where we go wrong in our community. I think we're reactive instead of proactive. We don't have to be, but we are. We cultivate this destructive force over and over. Violence of action, violence of action, violence of action, right? We unleash that on the battlefield to great effect. We eradicate the enemy. We leave the battlefield. The sounds of war die down externally. They turn up internally. And that destructive force remains. There's no enemy, so we create one within ourselves and then all of that destructive force starts attacking it. That's what's going on. That's a warfighter's mindset. A warfighter takes action based upon inflicting or driven by fear and destruction. A warrior, a warrior does everything from love, is driven by love, harnesses both the power of destructive and creative, becoming not twice as powerful, but infinitely more powerful because they're using all they're using the full polarity. I'm not saying there's not a place for destroying. To the contrary, it's necessary. Because there's beauty on the other side of it. Which I hope I've articulated in one of the stories earlier. The... you know what the irony is? We model ourselves after these societies that all inherently knew this to be true about a warrior's ethos. Odin! The American Indian with nature and staying in commune. The Spartans, the samurai. You see? But somehow, somewhere along the way, we decided we've been, we've allowed ourselves to be programmed that that side of things 
doesn't serve. If I say mindfulness, if I say meditation, if I say breath work, if I say spiritual, if I say God, love, how does that make anybody listening to this right now feel? That's it exactly. It's a GPS. So you know where you're at on the scale. There's only one scale. You know this, right? Yeah. There's only one scale. Unconditional love and fear. It's antithesis. Everything else grows from those or dies from those. It's the polarity. It has to exist. So if you don't want great calamity, don't wish for great blessings. Because that's where they come from, right? They come from that because that gives you the strength. That gives us the strength to go from pulling out of this. It's like resistance training from pulling out of this and all the gifts you attain by gaining the ability to do so, so that you are in a tuned machine of prosperity on a journey of absolute purpose. That's what I teach. I teach what my teacher taught me. Teaches me. It's profound. It's profound. And it's the it's been the catalyst for for no matter what the, the the situation is. We've had a lot of death. Mike Coke hit heart. But even then, there's an understanding we walk into this arena. And that can occur. People that have been close to me, family members, my grandmother raised, really raised me a lot. It like showed me some core, the core values of spirituality wrapped in a religious structure, but, but showed me art, showed me these things, guided me to these paths where my mother couldn't, you know. And when she passed away, but when we lose a child, when a child passes, for me, there's no, there's been no greater anguish. And I know it sounds crazy, but I, I, I am so grateful for it. Because it liberated me from trying to gain anything externally. It liberated me. It showed me like, like, that, that processing, that continual processing of that, which I will be 
processing my entire life is that it showed me that everything and I know you hear it all the time because because somebody's trying to get through but we're just hitting we're hitting walls but 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 that everything that we need is inside of us and by truly under learning how but nobody shows us how to do it again but the people that do show it you know other people try to discredit but it's all there inside of each one of us we just get, and we don't have to believe we just have to remember and so i go from <laughs> i go from all of the things you've heard and since my son's passing and i've been working in film and television for a while now and i'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit but but it's kind of in irrelevance but but i go from all of those things to by having this milestone this passing this rebirthing everything externally just has it's everything anybody ever fucking wants as far as success goes what the fuck else do you want and that's an outward that's that's a perfect example of look at the timing of it when you go back and look at like the timing of when everything hit for hit hit for me you know as a director and an actor it was when my son passed away because what that gave me is literally I'll be there on set and and I'm connected to him through like I I feel it now and it's not me it's not me that the, that's the problem like everybody goes that's my idea that's my thing my i did this no man <laughs> it's it's existence we did the work to get out of the fucking way and allow existence to happen to allow expansion to happen yes we did that but that end result that's us not me be gentle with yourself don't judge yourself right mhm maybe there's something you want to stop doing maybe you want to stop masturbating maybe you want to stop drinking maybe you want to stop being so fucking angry maybe you want to stop thinking about something start 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 the practice and that stuff you you'll fall back you'll fall back you'll fall just keep going that doesn't mean stop just keep going and be gentle with yourself that's not a that's not uh 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 hey i can keep fucking up you know card 
but you have to you have to find the truth within yourself that you're actively truly trying and moving that and that's what i do is i guide people into that truth and as they start to have an experience of that truth they develop their own internal barometer on where that navigation is and they learn how to navigate then they learn how to see the obstacles then they know oh fuck i did it again okay keep going don't attach to it don't attach to any type of label or thing no you're on the journey you're on the journey keep going on the journey and keep working diligently consistently above all else there is no higher purpose than the seeking of truth within oneself. There is no higher purpose. We can make the body strong. We can make the mind strong. We can attain a lot of money, a lot of women, a lot of men, whatever the fuck it is. We can attain all these things. But at the end of the day, nothing is higher than the, than the discovery of truth within oneself of the nature of things. And it's already there. You just got to remember. You got to remember how to remember. Mm. And then you got to remember how to remember to remember. Because you'll get it and then you'll go, ah, fuck, I was there and oh, now I was, uh, why am I not there now? No, just keep going. It'll come back. It's always there. That book, remember? Yeah. So the book, so when you say the timeline, you know, the, the whole, everything's I'm not very good at explaining this. Mm. When you say the timeline, you know, it's all in a book. It's already been written. Is, is it easy for you to go back and access so any here's portion? The here's the thing. I don't, I don't actively try to go back okay. and, and look at shit. Okay. This happens as a natural byproduct in my meditation. For example, the presence I felt when I was 11 in that story I told. I put that experience I've had of that light within me, of that life force within me, as that limitless source of creativity. And I'm observing that child and when that child asks for a sign i'm the one that sends the deer does that make sense it does when you when these things come up these the from the past or these uh we talked about visions a little bit last night at dinner are you and then you come out of it you know, out of the, the meditative state, do you, are you? This is one of my classes, actually. I think, I think I know where you're going. Sorry, go ahead. Do you spend time wondering what the meaning of that was or why that came up? Or are you just in the moment? To. I used to. It's, it's, do you just appreciate the fact that it happened? I used to. 
And, and then I'd talk to my teacher about it. That's what a teacher's for, is to kind of guide you how to figure out your own shit, mm -hmm. right? That's the whole point. You know, I don't want people dependent upon me. I want people to, to take these teachings and learn them from an experiential base of truth for themselves and then replicate that to other people. That's the game. I'm not training students or disciples or any nonsense. I'm teaching teachers. That's the whole thing that's going on on the planet today. <clears throat> you know, that's why everything's going nuts. Is because that's what that whole, you know, they say the whole 2012 thing, you know, the whole, you know, end of the world, all that type of shit. Or was that 2000? Was it? 2000. 2000? Was that 2000 or 2012? Well, now it's pretty much every year. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, it's all changed now. Yeah. The reality's changed. It used to be this big looming thing, right? What's going to, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, in 2012 or whatever. You know, the Mayan calendar ends on 2012, right? Oh, was it? I yeah, was yeah. thinking Y2K. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> <laughs> ah man some people cashed out on that one didn't they <laughs> your clock on your computer is going to shit the bed <laughs> oh no none of your software is going to work uh anyway sorry um but yeah like the mayan calendar ends. that was an end of an age that was an end of a dark age and now we're moving into a different age and that's why everything since 2012 has gone fucking haywire. Is because we, our consciousness, think about this. Our consciousness is, is, is attuning to a new, a new era, right? And inherently we understand, inherently we know that. We know that. It's, it's what's, and so if we don't action that, think of it like a wave. If we don't get on top of that wave, we're going to get crushed by it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what you're seeing. You can either ride that wave, learn how to swim, or you're going to get crushed and drown. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no, like it's written about in the Bible. Is it any major, sorry, not just the Bible, but any major, you know, religious text talks about the end of times, right? Yeah. And that's what's happening. Because the end of times are the one, like everything up to that point is, is the, is the, which way is it you're going to go when that time comes? So as reality diverts towards dark and light which way which way are you attuning yourself because i'm telling you from a place of experience that we absolutely have the power to write our reality and you've heard tons of people talk about that right but i'm the type of guy that shares a teaching that shows you how but at the end of the day, you've got to practice it. I'll show you how. I'll show you how. But you have to practice the way I'm telling you to.
or not. It's your choice. It's your life. It's your ride. Yeah. But I'm telling you this. If you do find the ability to be able to pursue what it is I'm telling you to pursue in the frequency that I'm telling you to pursue it, <laughs> brother, beyond, beyond what you can imagine. Just, and, it's, and I'm not always there. I'm not always there, but I'm there more and more frequently. And when I'm not there, guess what? I have tools and techniques to put me right back. And it's, my life has become an absolute blessing. And it comes from just complete abandonment of a natural abandonment because there's no room for it of any type of victimized mentality any type of and this isn't all this is let me just be perfectly clear this isn't about turning the other cheek i'm not saying that mm -hmm. but people will take it that way it's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about drawing from all power sources The power source, the power, the all, the everything, the alpha, omega, it's, it's, it's there. We can have it. Just got to learn how to remember how to have it and that it's okay to have it. There's no shame. Shame. So if somebody wants to start this, start this, this journey, what's, what is, what is step number one? When a seal comes to you. Okay, that changes the whole spectrum of things. Okay. Yeah, a seal. If a seal wants to start this journey. Yeah. That's easy. Just contact me. Contact me directly. Info at vitalwarrior.org. For anybody else, what's step one? You have to... Okay, so all throughout time all throughout time, there's always been a teacher, right? Right? Yeah. Christ, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so all throughout time, there's been a teacher and we have to develop the ability to recognize our teacher. You have to find your teacher. 
In order for you to find your teacher, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Heard that before? Yeah, I have. That's what it means. There's many masters walking this planet. I personally have been, I've met two. But there's many. And, and we have to develop ourselves. We have to purify ourselves. We have to do what we now know we can do to improve our lives. I don't care where you're at. Somewhere inside of you knows the direction. There's an intuitive thing. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to pray. I'm going to help do something nice for somebody today. See what happens. With the understanding that you're seeking your teacher. Read. There's a couple of books that will help guide you. Okay? There's a couple of books. One is the duet of one. And it's kind of it, it kind of un, unfurls that way. These people, Khalil Gibran, uh, right? The Alchemist. You know, is a great book. The Way of the Peaceful Warrior is another great book. As you start to engage in actively reading those things, you're opening yourself up. You're starting to change what you're putting in. We're holy people. We have nine holes, right? Our eyes, our nose, our ears, our mouth, our anus, and our genitals, right? We have nine holes. We have to be careful what goes in and out. You know, so what we're watching, what we're hearing, what we're eating, what we're smelling, what we're tasting, you know, all these types of things. We have to be careful of what is occurring. We have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant of thought. How? How do we do that? I'm so glad you asked. The way we're vigilant of thought is when we have a thought come up that we don't want to have, we have to develop the awareness that we're actually having the thought. And when we develop the awareness that we're having the thought, and we don't want to have that thought, mantra. There's a lot of different mantras. You know, you can do Wai Guru. You can do that. You can do Wai Guru. You can do Satnam. Truth is my identity. You can use whatever. Whatever is a mantra. It's a powerful one. Victory is another one. Something that changes the frequency of the neural network. That's what we want to do. The breath. Breathe, motherfuckers. Breathe. You have to dedicate to a higher quality of breath. Anytime we start to get stressed or depressed, notice what you're doing with your breath. 
Notice what's happening with your breathing. You, it's been around since I was, a, I, I've been on this planet and before. Take a deep breath, count to 10, right? Mm -hmm. Change your breathing. So anytime we're stressed or depressed, a lot of times we're either clamping on our lungs or, you know, or we're breathing very shallow, if at all, when you get stressed. How many times a day did you see me breathe through emotion? Well, quite a few. You know what I mean? Rechannel it. Right? So, so breathe. That's, that's, that's the one. Breathe. Breathe. Change the breath. Play with that. And there's a lot of technology in this system. Um, if you're in Los Angeles, come to the Rama Institute. See myself, Harijivan, Gurujas, me, whatever. I will. So, and, and see what happens. Again, it, you keep going, bro. You gotta have the open cup though. Because there is some stuff in here that you're like, mm. like all that stuff I articulated about how I felt, every freaking team guy feels. Guarantee it. And then they get done with the class and they're like, holy shit. What the fuck? And then sometimes it scares them. They won't call it that. But it unlocks shit. It's like, oh, you're ready for your weights. Here you go. Uh, I don't want to look at that shit. Right? They're yeah. seeing the stuff, but they haven't developed the ability to transmute it. Right? But they see it. Why is this stuff coming up? Why is this stuff coming up? Because it's leaving or it's presenting you with an opportunity to see it under a different light. From where you are now in your growth you know that's interesting and then a lot of times guys run they'll run this is by far and don't let me create any disillusions this is by far the hardest thing i've ever done by far you can stay in the matrix I'm telling you, the other side of this thing is pretty, uh, pretty wonderful. That sounds like it. It is, man. I can look, I can look at my daughter and I just see, I see God in her. Yeah. And the, the, the biggest gift it, it, it just, it's multiplicative. It's exponential. So when I impart what my teacher's shown me through my filter of the experience of it, right? And then it sticks in a student. And that student starts working with something that they're, they're like, and then they get done with a class. And when they, you see it, you can feel it because there's that 
There's that life connection going on. Same as in the combat, right? And it's like... It's a reciprocation of everything, of everything. Like when they see, when you see it unlocking a student, it's just, it just, it, it's like, it's the true service of God. When you see someone realize it for themselves, that's. I mean, you want rewarding, like, yeah. And then when you can unlock it, see it, you can unlock it in your children. You give them, and that's where I think you know, in our in the SEAL community, it's like, if I would have had this as a SEAL, I would have been so much more effective. So much. It's called the yoga of awareness. Come on. We're always talking about situational awareness. Yeah. And increase and it's all about increasing your lung capacity. So you have a higher quality and higher partial pressure of oxygen. So you can think better, make better decisions, have more acuity. And and invariably you build up you build up a resistance to, you know. Stress. You have tools that we can give these men at the ground level that will help them ameliorate stress. And we're not doing it. Why the fuck are we not doing it? Why? Why are we waiting until after a whole a whole 20 years and then we're going oh you're all fucked up here you go uh, yeah. have a good life hopefully somewhere out there in the teams they take care of you depending on who you know yeah but we can absolutely include I call it mental disciplines within the warrior ethos why can't we include that in our pipeline Basic tools at buds. If I would have known this as an instructor, I absolutely been slipping that shit under the wire. Like, try this shit out, guys. That's how I've been punishing them. Hold it. <laughs> Hold it. Keep breathing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would have been their thing. They would have got done and be like, I don't feel like I got my ass kicked. I feel pretty good. <laughs> uh, anyway. yeah. who knows what'll happen one day right you know maybe you're gonna get packaged in such a manner that it serves our mission i hope it does i hope it does too i hope it does too because i think we'd see a lot less of what we're seeing now i think we'd see a lot more love between members of our community. I think we'd see a lot more support of one another within our community and understanding and compassion. Compassion's not weakness. Somewhere along the way, people cross their wires on that shit. Yeah.
you know. Anyway. Let's take a break. Felt pretty encompassing. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying the Sean Ryan Show. Let me take a minute to tell you about Vigilance Elite Patreon. Our patron community receives exclusive behind-the-scenes content from the Sean Ryan Show, as well as an extensive library of Vigilance Elite videos not seen anywhere else. I also engage in live video chat with Tier 3 members once a month where we discuss a variety of topics. Vigilance Elite Patreon is what makes the Sean Ryan Show possible. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. And head over to patreon.com slash vigilance elite and get your subscription today. All right. So this will be the uh, last segment. Want to dig into kind of what you got going on now with, especially when it comes to Call of Duty. How'd you get into that? <laughs> you know, all the good stuff. Fuck, I don't know. I mean, it's only the, the biggest <laughs> video game franchise in the world. That's uh, crazy, man. Um, so you heard all the other stuff. You know, it's like... Um, should I tell the Transformers story? Yeah. I don't know. All right. I'll tell the Transformers story. So, so around that 2000... Uh, 10 time frame you know i was starting to find meditation and all that type of stuff right i was on the, i had just really started on this kind of quest so it was still really awkward on you know kind of how everything worked but i knew the meditation stuff worked for me i didn't know really the science of the meditation i just knew i had to sit down it was i think it was after the shaman though it might have been after the shaman but so I get a call and they're like, hi, um, I work with this group. I don't want to really name names, but I'm really grateful for these people. Um, and, and we're doing a production, um, called Transformers and, uh, was wondering if you'd be interested in coming in and being a part of our team to, you know, kind of do some tactics in the, in the film and I was like that sounds like fun you know I wasn't wasn't thinking like oh I, I remember I started you know I, I you know I wasn't thinking anything about it I was like that just sounds like fun like hanging out with a bunch of team guys on a movie and that, okay yeah let's go you know I want to that sounds like fun and um, so I went in we did the thing it's my first time ever being on a set right and uh, I see Michael Bay walk by. It was Transformers 3. And I see Michael Bay walk by. And Michael's like, he, walk, he walks past me and he goes, he goes, he's like doing something. He looks, holy shit, what the fuck do they call you? And I was like, hooch. And he's like, fuck, perfect. He goes, do you want to be an actor? And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, all right, come here. And he goes, Wait a minute, can, can you act? And I was like, you're the fucking director. Don't you have to be the judge of that? <laughs> and he's like, fair enough. Come here. And dude, 
they started putting a mic on me and and I don't know if you remember have you seen the movie Transformers 3? I've seen a couple of them. I okay, don't know so which so one. there's this movie where there's this big bald motherfucker with a rocket launcher and a and a milkor and and the the whole building's falling over and this worm, you know, is like crushing the building and the whole thing's collapsing. It's really it's really cool. I think they got a they got a nomination or a VFX nomination for that one. And um and so I'm standing there and all of a sudden I got like really nervous and I didn't fucking know why. You know what I mean? I was just like my heart starts beating, I'm sweating, I'm like, whew, what the fuck? And 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 then it hit me. Right? And then it hit me. I was like, holy fuck. I wanted to do this as a kid. I remembered. I had completely forgotten about the Glee Club kid. All that shit buried that Glee Club kid. And in that one moment, it was like, wham. This was like a dream that you had. Like I was a huge fan of the Transformers franchise when yeah. I was a kid. You know, I had all the toys. I was, I was into it. I was deep into it. And watched the cartoons every time it came on. And... um and I'm sitting there, this building's tilted, and I had to sprint down this this building because they had the the whole floor was like on this gimbal. And they'd lift up the whole floor so that everything would fall and shit like that. They built a whole skyscraper floor for this thing, right? No shit. Yeah. Yeah. From Playa Vista. And then they had like it would lift up. And so we'd all do our thing. And I remember remembering. And I was like, holy shit. It felt like I was being choked out, right? He goes, okay. When I call action, you're going to sprint down there. You're going to look out the, the thing and like be really nervous. I was like, okay. And he goes, action. And I run down there. I fucking sprint out the thing. And, I, and I'm like, and I had some, some lines. He gave me lines, right? And I was supposed to say the building's teetering. And I lean out and I'm like, the building's tiltering. Fuck. And he's like, you can't say fuck. It's a kid's show. <laughs> <laughs> he knows I'm nervous, right? Like yeah. he, he's like, hey, go back to one. And then, and then, uh, you know, Tyrese Gibson just starts laughing and shit. Shia LaBeouf starts laughing and everybody's fucking laughing. Right. I'm like, ha ha ha. Laugh at the fucking big guy. All right. Fine. You know, laugh at the first time or it's easy target, you know, and, and he goes, he goes, okay, and action. I, go, I run down there, and then I say, I, he goes, I go, what was that fucking line again? <laughs> he, he's laughing at this point, and he, he's like, he goes, the building's, you know what? Just say they're shooting at the building. And I was like, that's, that's a stronger choice. I think that's a stronger choice, Mr. Bay. Yeah, and and I fucking go back up, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, going, man, I'm fucking this up. I'm fucking this up. I don't want to fuck this up. I, I kind of want to do this shit, you know? And I fucking go down there, and dude, something just kind of clicked, and I was like, and like I'm, I could see shit. Like all the stuff started coming back, you know, from when I was a kid. Like, yeah. like it, and I'm like, whoa, and like I'm doing shit like that when. And I'm reacting to this fucking big fucking thing. And I'm like, 
looking around. And he's like, fuck yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, now fucking towards the camera a little more. And I fucking listened and I did what he said. He's like, he goes, cut, fuck, dude. He's like, yeah. And he goes, come here, do this, do this. I was hired as a special ability extra to be in the background, you know. And 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 he made me a principal in the film. He, he gave the other guys contracts too, you know. And he was just a, a big supporter. He's just a great supporter of military and like, like people that wanted to get into the industry, he like really helped. And so I got to tell a story. Um, <laughs> this is the first, this was a pretty profound moment for me. And, and you know how I told the story about how in combat, I felt that ultimate sense of purpose. And like, you know, like when I came home, I was like, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? Like what? What compares to that? Like nothing's gonna compare. Like, eh, it's all over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but, um, but there I was. It was Chicago in the middle of the summer, baking heat. And I showed you the picture. Of what I look like two hundred, like two hundred sixty pounds at this point. Um, I got a rocket launcher on my back, an AT four, and uh, a Milcor, a grenade launcher. You know, the, I think you got a picture of him. You carry him one in one of these pictures somewhere. Um, anyway, um, so I'm carrying this thing. And, and I see this kid probably about 150 meters off, like, like just looking at the, like the crowd was cordoned off. Like they had everything blocked off because we're blowing shit up. And, you know, it's cool. We run down the street shooting. I mean, pretty cool experience, right? Guys are dropping in and. You know, their parachutes are catching on fire from the damn. fucking explosives. I'm like, damn. And uh, it's a really cool experience. And, and we're making believe we're shooting at all these big robots that aren't there. And it, it, was, it was fantastic, right? It was a really cool experience. That, that, that was. Not, not the one that we talked about last night. But, um, but uh, I remember seeing this kid, right? And... And he's standing there in our eyes lock. And, and I'm like, you. He's like four. He's like, mom, you know, and he, and he, and he points. And I start walking over to him. And then I get, as I get closer, he's getting more and more like catatonic, dude. He's like, just like, oh. You know, I grab him, I pick him up. I was like, you enjoying the show? I got like blood and shit on me. I got like dirt and I'm sweaty. I'm soaked through. I'm completely saturated. And he's just like, whoa. I look at the mom and that's the first time I notice that they're probably homeless. They're probably homeless people, right? And her, her tears are streaming down. And, and it's cleaning it's cleaning the dirt off her face, man. I look over at the father. He's right here. He's crying too. Same thing. He's, he breaks out this little wind-up camera. And he's like, can we take a picture? And I'm like, you're not going to put this on your Facebook page, right? And, and, he's, and the kid's like, the kid's not answering. And, and the mom's like, you have no idea how much this means to us. Thank you so much. And as she was saying that, Dude, it was like a fucking Thor landing. Wham! I saw the chick in Iraq. Like, like, look at this. I'm like, 
I'm like, I saw, I saw the, the woman in Iraq. And, and I was like, and in that moment I realized, I was like, I can use creativity to affect people like I did destruction. And that was, that was like, I had a conversation with my wife. We were still down in San Diego when this was going on. I was like, hey, hon, what do you think if I like pursue this acting thing? And she's like, I think, I think you should, you know, is that what you want to do? I was like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be fucking hard. It's going to be a lot of me still traveling again. And, and, but, but I'm never going to quit. This is going to, we're going to be trying until we die. You know, are you, are you down for that journey? And she's like, she's like, okay, let's do it. She's a great woman. She's, she's been through all that shit. Man. Yeah. Like, and stayed. Barely sometimes. Barely sometimes. But she did. You know, stubborn, stubborn Czech women. Like, German Czech. Yeah. Love her. I'm going to shake your shit out of you sometimes. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love her. Like, she's, she's, She's amazing. You'll love her when you meet her. So, so, um, so one thing led to another. I, um, you know, I was in Transformers Four. I picked up a TV show. Uh, uh, um, uh, these little, you know, co-star roles in TV shows. Those co-stars started turning into guest stars. The guest stars started turning into reoccurring, recurring guest stars. Um, and I have a series coming out, um, actually on Netflix, uh, after the first of the year. That, oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you talk about it or? Um, I don't know. TS, huh? I don't think so yet because it's not out yet. Okay. But, um, uh. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I, I could look something up real quick. Hold on. If it's on IMDb. Then we can talk. It's called The Lincoln Lawyer. Okay. Okay. And it is in post-production right now. The new show. The Netflix show? Yeah, the new show. The Lincoln Lawyer. It's called Lawyer. The Lincoln Lawyer. It'll be on Netflix and it just says 2022. Cool. But it's on here so like anybody can access it. So I guess I can say something about it. Can't tell you what or what character and all these types of things, but it's a... I'm in there, let's just say. And um, and so um, that's the latest, I think that's the latest release. I don't know. I think the last biggest thing was the Mayans, season two of the Mayans, uh, which is a spinoff of Sons of Anarchy. Fantastic, you know, cast and crew on that. Man, that was a great experience. <sighs> that was That was a great experience. There's a longer story there, but we'll continue. So, so, um, but uh, on on or about 2017, I, I was asked to be one of the biggest things for me in film and television was I feel like you know veterans. Um, at least I did at the time, like at the beginning, it felt very hard to 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 get involved in some things, but. 
um, I felt like they, like veterans were only seen as like they could be, they could be stunt guys or they could be, you know, grips and these types of things, but nobody ever like really saw them as being creatives, you know, like writers and, you know, um, actors. I mean, you, you see some veteran actors now, but you don't see, you don't see a lot of veteran, big veteran actors, right? Mm-mm. So, so. Who? I can't think of uh, anyone. Adam Driver is one. Okay. Adam Driver is a veteran. He was a Marine. Um, and they're out there. You know, they're out there. Um, and uh, big veteran supporters as well um, are, are, are out there. You know, so it's, it's there. Um, it's just, it's just hard to find sometimes. It's just kind of the landscape a little bit, you know, but, um, that being said, uh, I, I was asked to, to come on to NBC's The Brave as a technical advisor. And I was like, I don't want to be an advisor. I don't want to do it. I told, I, I told the person setting up to me, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be an advisor. I want to be a creative. I want to create. And um, I want to just tell people how to look good carrying a gun. You know, I think I think we share some I'm of familiar that. with yeah, that. Yeah, you're familiar with that a little Turned bit. Turned into a complete fucking disaster for me. But Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean, that's all a thing, right? And we discussed that last night kind of. But, um, but. I was like, okay, I'll talk to the guy. And uh, the guy's name was Dean Georgeris. He was one of the writers on Gladiator. And he was going to be the showrunner. And, and I was like, hi. And we talked. And he's like, I really want to get this right. I really want to get this right. I will, I will, you know, you will have priority. What you say will have priority. And, you know, because I worked with other people, like helping them tech advise, and then they put us in the movie like G.I. Joe and stuff like that, you know. And, you know, we have a line here or there. Nothing, nothing big, but we're in it. Like, you can see us in it, right? Well, I told him, I was like, I was like, I will make you a pilot. And, and then we'll see how it goes. Right. So, so, so we shot the pilot in Morocco and then they let me take the cast and do whatever I wanted to do. We did live fire drills. We did all kinds of cool shit. Right. And I was like, and I, and I started to develop kind of a a relationship with some of them. And I was like, you know what? All right, I'll do the show. You know what I mean? Show got picked up and they go, do you want to do it? And I'm like, I'll do it, you know. And so I moved to Albuquerque um, and had to live there. And it was like full on. Like, and I'm the type of guy that I, I pick up all this rope that I see laying on the deck. You know what I mean? Like, oh, nobody's doing this job. It needs to be done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to let me do this too. And this. And this. And, th- and pretty soon I'm like, Wow, I really painted myself into a corner on this one because <laughs> I never get a fucking minute off. Yeah. Like it was like there was times where like I'm literally talking to the producing director where I'm like, they're like, yeah, they need you over here on the because they they shoot two episodes at once. 
okay, now they need to move you over to the other episode and move to this episode and now go to that episode. It was like, and he told me one time, hey, they need you down at the, the, the studio so they can, you know, you can do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, okay, just so you know, I'm going on 24-hour workday right now. He's like, what? you're really going on a 24-hour workday? I'm like, yeah, man, I haven't slept. I've been working for 24 hours. And he's like, uh, shit. And I go, so. And he's like, okay, well, uh, uh, just go down and check in with them and then, and then like, you know, take a day off. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do that. And uh, so, so time went on and, and right just prior to this, I had done this, I'd never directed before, right? But I was like, there was such a lull between, I forget what the last thing was in this show, but there was such a lull that I engaged in this uh, directorial program. It was like a crash course in directing. It was like the art of visual storytelling. It was held by USC and it was sponsored by uh, Veterans and Media and Entertainment. I think they called it VFT at this time. And, um, and so uh, I went and did that. And basically you make, like you have to write, shoot, edit, and present a film in three weeks, right? You have to write it, shoot Damn. it, edit it, and present it. Short film. I wrote my script. I handed it to the guy teaching it. And he's like, he's like, dude. This is pretty this is pretty ambitious what you're wanting to do here. This is like multiple combat sequences. This is uh multiple locations. You got three different locations. You've got you know, they intend for you to shoot the thing in a room, right? So you don't have to go anywhere and you can just do everything right there and be done. Nah. You know the deal. Uh-huh. We're gonna crush this shit. Yep. You know, so so I had a great guy, um, and he he uh, a close friend of mine, and he he he's been in the industry for a long time. He he did a lot of visual effects stuff, a lot of uh, second unit stuff in video games and these types of things. He's like, any way I can support, I'll support. You know, so uh, he started connecting me to people that like can can um, you know like a DP and you know. You know, I knew some talent, so from the acting side of things, like, hey, I'm shooting this thing. It's about veterans and fight a warrior, and you know, and they're like, okay, I'll volunteer, you know, and um, so no budget, but we shot this thing right. So fast forward back to the Brave. I have this thing in the can that we 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 actually screened, and I got to tell you, um, are you a filmmaker? Yeah. So so. Um, this was my first film, and I had to screen this thing. We're literally editing this thing down to the wire of, of where I have to show it. So we didn't have time to put credits in it, right? And so they're playing this thing, and they play it on a big screen. It's in a theater. And they play it on the screen, and there's like, I don't know, 30, 40 veterans in there. And we watch everybody's shit, right? And, and, and they play mine. It runtime of about, I don't know, 12 minutes or so, 13. And uh, 
when it gets done, there's no, there's no, there's no credits. So it's just a pitch black room. And all you can hear, like when the sound dies down, is <laughs> people fucking crying and shit. And we sat there in the dark, like they didn't turn the lights on or anything for like two minutes, dude. And everybody just sat there in the dark, just like, like it was the coolest fucking thing, dude. And, and, and so I was like, wait a minute. Like, because the whole process of directing, I was like, directing uses every aspect of my experience, my creative ability, my situational awareness, my visual, my storytelling. It uses every aspect of it, right? And so, so there I am on the Brave and, and I'm like, hey man, I developed a good relationship with the producing director. Uh, and, and he's like, he's like, and he's seen me, he starts seeing me like, I'm like taking the reins on the choreo, the tactical choreography and directing camera and everything. Right. And, and how the camera can capture this action. And, and he's like, he's like, because have you ever directed? Cause you're, you're talking and moving like a director. And I was like, only one short film. I got, I got one or two short films. And he goes, can I see it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you. And I gave him the thing. And, and he's like, he's like, he watches it, gets back to me the next day. He's like, holy fuck, dude. That's the first thing you've ever fucking made. And, and I'm like, yeah. It's kind of like your painting guy. And, and he's like, he's like, holy fuck, you're talented. He's like, dude, the way, you know, cause I, I, I get aggressive with the camera and like, I'm like, even the DPs like, you know, that camera is going to be right in his face. I was like, yeah, you know, and he's like, okay, you know, he does a thing. And then like, when you, I'll show it to you if you want to see it, but, yeah, of course. but, but, um, but the story, you know, as well is like, it's powerful, right? And uh, he he's like, dude, we got to start fucking developing you as a director here. And I was like, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so everything's keyed up. NBC's on board. The showrunner's on board. I'm going to be DGA and I'm going to direct the season finale of an NBC show. Um, I'll be the second unit director, I should say. Damn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of, a, of an NBC fucking primetime television show. That's pretty Holy fucking, shit. That's pretty big, right? They fucking canceled this shit. They canceled the show. They weren't going to renew the show. They cut the budget. They got rid of second unit. And I didn't get to do it. Are you shitting me? No, dude. I've Damn. been there. I've been so close so many fucking times. That close so many fucking times where what Michael Bay pulled me into his office. He's going to make me a series regular on the last ship. I, to this day, I don't know what the fuck happened. Damn. I have no idea what the fuck happened. He told me to my face. He goes, you got a TV show. And I was so stunned. I didn't know how to respond. I was just like, it, it was like so much. 
that that I was just numb. I was like, I was like, that's fucking awesome. Thank you. And it was like, it, that was about the extent of the reaction, right? Yeah. And and I'm like, did I not react enough? Did I like what the fuck happened? I don't know what the fuck happened. You know, um, is that how it always is? No, dude. It's they never, not. they, you know. No, no, no. If you don't get when, it. When, that, when the executive producer of the show tells you you got a show, you probably got a show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Especially when that. they bring you into the studio and all the directors and everything in there is like, congratulations type thing. Yeah. You know, no. Okay. I, I still don't know what the fuck happened. It's just I never got called again. I don't care. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's a part of the journey. It was a part of my tempering of expectation and, you know, and just, oh, this is what this is like. You know, and this is the world I'm working in, right? Mm-hmm. Shit can go sideways. How am I dealing with it when it goes sideways? Right? And so, but at the time, I wasn't there. At the time, I was like, what the fuck happened? You know, because we were hungry. Yeah. That, was, that was my income, you know. And so, but everything happens for a reason. Had I done that, then I wouldn't have been on the brave. Then I wouldn't have been having that directorial experience that led me to what I'm doing now, right? Yeah. So, so, so they, they, they cut the second unit and, um, and I'm like, holy shit, that one stung like a motherfucker. I was like, oh man. Ah. So, so they canceled the show and then there was, um, then I got involved in these independent, Films that are just that that didn't come out like I'd like them to, you know. I didn't direct them. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, but they wouldn't let me. And you know, and invariably, um, I think the 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 product at the end of the day uh, could have been better. And and but it was really it was a great time, and I developed great relationships along the way. Um, and uh fantastic people involved so so go forward a little bit more you know i i um i get involved with the mayans i do the mayans and and then and then i got hit up to just just go talk to a a bunch of developers uh for this little known franchise called call of duty right what's that uh, it's this kidding. video game. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got to understand, I have been a heavy gamer. I still am. I have been a heavy gamer uh, my entire life. I Games have been Atari 2600, you know, ColecoVision and television. Um, all the in-between type systems like pre-Nintendo uh, type stuff. Um Sega Genesis, all these types of these gaming systems. I've I, I've been since table uh, tennis for two. Do you know what that is? No. Is the very first video game ever made? Is Pong? You remember Pong? Yeah, I did. It had wood panel on the box, and like you had a knob with your friend and a reset button, and you turn this thing, and like the ding, 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 and that's what you did. That was the first video game. So, so. Um, so I've been literally been playing video games since they've been being made and, and D 
deeply, like sometimes way too deep. Like post combat, I lock myself in a room and I'm just I'm like playing. Yeah. What's your favorite video game of all time? Ooh, man, you put me on the spot like that. You can't do that. Um, Street Fighter 2. Really? Oh, yeah. That was your jam. Dad. Street Fighter 2. Yeah. Maybe Zelda. See, fantasy is my shit. I know I'm doing Call of Duty and everything like that. Even the dudes at Call of Duty are like, we'll get you more involved with the zombie stuff. You know, but but like the fantasy stuff is is just for me is I'm working on some stuff now that I can't I absolutely can't talk about it's triple top secret, but but um mm, mm, I can't wait to be able to tell you. But it's but it's it scratches every itch. You know what I mean? And it's one of my favorite IPs out there, you know, so so um you asked what my favorite video games were, mm-hmm. right? Um, I really like uh, I really like the Diablo franchise a lot. Um, I love the pretty much anything Blizzard makes. I I enjoy The Last of Us, The Witcher, um, God of War, oh, God of War. How can you not love the God of War franchise? Have you seen, have you played that? Do yourself a favor and just get yourself get off and just get get that play that you'll be like oh shit yeah 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 get get yourself a PlayStation. Am I wrong? Oh man, you haven't played God of War. All right, but God of War. Um, if I had to pick a favorite, man, there's such great. It's such a powerful storytelling platform, man. It's the future of it's the future of storytelling. Video gaming. Oh, absolutely. That technology. As they start to get into photogrammetry and these types of things and how they're capturing, 100 percent Damn. 100 percent Watch. Mark my words. I believe you. The 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 uh, CEO of Warner Brothers. This is a, a quote from the CEO of Warner Brothers. Doesn't take a genius to know that video games are the future of entertainment. And he raised Warner Brother games to the same level as Warner Brother films, from what I hear. So, yeah. So, now that I've set the stage for this, you gotta understand how this is, <laughs> bro. So, I get asked to talk on stage to a bunch of developers for Call of Duty. Can I help bring in a guest speaker? I do, you know. And uh, a mutual friend had introduced me to the contact over at, um, at Activision. Come to find out we had some history together and we didn't even realize it, you know. And so let me bring you in and, you know, we'll take a look and talk, talk to these people and who knows, you know. So, again, it comes up. Well, we'd like you to be the tech advisor for this shoot we're doing for, you know, Call of Duty. And I'm like, if there's anything I learn, show the fuck up, no matter what the fucking job is. And then they'll see that I have other things to offer. They may or may not take that, but they'll see that I have other things to offer is the hope, right? Well, these guys did. Treyarch did. And 
and I have an incredible team. Like I have this guy, um, my my original coordinator um, has had you know triple A talent in, on his roster, and he brought that and allowed me to use that in this endeavor uh, once we got there. So what turned into um, me tech advising, what we saw was, this is how this happened. We saw, <laughs> I was going in to, to, to just tech advise on the movement on, you know, what it was they were doing. And, and then COVID hit and everybody's in a lockdown and it's like, well, shit, we're shooting this. Can you tune into this, sh uh, shoot and look at what these guys are doing and, and I'm watching what these guys are doing with weapons and I'm like, guys, I gotta be honest, like, like they're so off the mark. Like for me to tell you everything they're doing wrong here in real time over a Zoom meeting is gonna be really challenging. And I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody, but if I can just show you an example, what, what we can do is this is I can show you an example of what my team can do and then we can give it to them and then they can rehearse what we put together and then they'll be more in alignment because they don't know what they don't know. If they can replicate what it is we're doing over here on my team, everything would be great. You know, I never went into it like trying to screw anybody over or anything like that, right? Like uh -huh. that was not the intent. The intent was let's just make some really cool stuff, give it to them. And then, you know, this other team can shoot it because they're, they have a mocap stage and they can do all the stuff. You know what I mean? So we did. And they were like, holy shit. Like with the choreo and all the, the things we did, we put our best foot forward at the time. And so, um, they were like, I think, I, th I don't know what happened, but we got approached again and they're like, hey, um, so we noticed that you recorded all that stuff on a mocap stage. Where were you? And I was like, in Los Angeles. They're like, really? Well, would you, would you be interested in shooting that stuff for us? You know, and I'm like, uh, yeah, absolutely. We'll shoot it for you. You know, and, and so <laughs> went from tech advisor to directing again like and I'm directing all this second unit stuff and basically what they have in game is 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 this ability to where you can go up behind a guy and you hold down the melee button and it performs an execution you guys play call of duty yeah and it performs this execution well this execution is like an animation using different types of weapons depends on the operator package and all these variables right and so we made these things and they're like oh that was great can you do some more and do some more and wound up being like 300 different ways of killing somebody up close nice. <laughs> have you ever played like so you said street fighter you ever play mortal Kombat? oh yeah you know how at the end you can do fatalities yeah it's kind of like that nice it's kind of like that so you want me to come up with the call of duty fatalities that's my job okay, I'll do that Fuck, all day long, you know? And so... Do you have a favorite fatality? Ooh, there's a lot of good ones, man. 
what uh in the call of duty in yeah. so in black ops um so we're on we're on a different call of duty now but black ops was the first one that i had done and and i like the john rambo one a lot you know um i like i like uh i like different ones for different reasons um and um the judge dread one's cool we have some that haven't come out you gotta you gotta make one with a uh stop sign pull just for old time's sake nice nice yeah um we have stuff kind of like that though <laughs> that's funny um you but call it the hooch i still don't know where the fuck the guy got a stop sign pull it's crazy anyway um so so one thing led to another we started developing relationships good re working relationships with the um, the the stage there at central and and um one thing led to another and then you know i i was asked to come in and do another call of duty ip the one that just came out vanguard and now i'm the um second unit director uh we got the guy that shoots all the action stuff for the one that just came out vanguard and in in the interim we were working on different cinematics and directing cinematics and conjunction you gotta understand there's a lot of people that wear a lot of different hats in in the video game world so it's not as clear cut as in film on on who's doing what you know you have the performance capture director that is for all intents and purposes the director of a film that 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 works with the actors and and you know elicits the performances right they performance capture director the you know you've seen the helmets that they wear with the lights and the dots on their face and all that yeah that's it you know and they they direct all that the adr performances they're working with all the actors um second unit director um the mocap director uh works with all the second unit stuff all the action you know so um so i did i did that in conjunction with um you know being the first assistant director too the the, the assistant director is the guy that you know handles the logistics and you know kind of you know make sure the flow of the day he's like the he's kind of like the the lpo okay you know what i mean yeah he, he makes shit flow along chief is the director you know lpo is the one that makes all that shit happen right yeah and so <clears throat> kind of the same kind of the same thing um and so uh you know one thing led to another and and i had a very good working relationship with the lead animators over at treyarch and um they wanted to bring me on full time as the performance capture director for you know their studio so now i'm officially a developer while i was creating this franchise and, and going back to everything that we've talked about before there's been adversity you know what i mean like like things have gone sideways sometimes and like that's just the nature of production you know things come in late you don't know which way is up you know talent cancels on you they get booked on something else or you know what i mean like 
and then like all the productions like weighing on that. And so, so there's a lot of adversity. Um, but, but it's okay to like take that breath and, and just truly enjoy the type of problem that it is, you know, for what it is. And, and so, um, while, while we were making that first game, you, uh, and to put this in, to kind of put this in uh, scope, um, my son passed away while I was on the stage shooting. And you got to understand this IP. There, there's no coincidences. There's no coincidences. Me and my son played this IP while I was in Iraq. We used Call of Duty as a way to, to bond. You know, when, you know, it was difficult face-to-face sometimes, yeah. you know, because of what he's going through, what I'm going through. and You know, but but in that other world, you know, the walls come down a little bit. Makes sense? Yeah, it does. You know, and things start coming out and you're having conversations and you're just having fun. You know what I mean? So I don't think we talk about that enough in games. You know, just the the, the good that can happen, you know. And, and, and the, the friends you can make, you know, and the connections that you can make. Um, and I think we should focus on that more. And, and, and so that's kind of what drives me. And so while I'm creating this IP, there, you think there's any coincidence that, that like after my son passes away, then all of a sudden, like all of these things start to bloom. And I can't. I can't tell you all of the other things that are happening, but it's just like through that journey, like I'm talking to you about, and I and I alluded to this before. Maybe you can go back and kind of do your magic, but the journey itself and and the transition and the being able to kind of you know incorporate all of those events into that into my heart, you know. Just has as grand and that realization of the ability to love unconditionally. I bring that into what that's the why I create. Like I use that whole journey, and that's what motivates my creative effort. It's not the outcome of anything. It's not I'm trying, I'm striving to like go get this thing next. I did that. It's painful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nothing's ever good enough. You know, you're never satisfied with where you're at. And that, that causes a hole. There's always a hole that can never be filled because you're always looking out there and never like appreciating what's right here and right here, you know? Yeah. And so, so that all changed through that. That's, that's one of the myriad of gifts that this event has, has given, this singular event has granted me. And so now in a little over a year and a half, I have signed with Treyarch as a developer doing a job that normally is reserved. I'm at a level where, you know, guys have been doing this for 20 years. How's that happen? Yeah, that's awesome. How's that happen? A gamer, a seal. Think of, think of all the pieces. Yeah. Like through my whole life, the Glee Club kid, the actor, the the artist, the writer, the director, the seal. 
as a Call of Duty director. What the fuck? Damn. That's awesome, man. What the fuck? <laughs> like, that's not... You can't... You can't. Every time I think about it, it's just like, thank you. Thank you. It's everything. Yeah. You know, not the job, but the journey. The realization of, wow, you put me through all of that so I could be here right now. Knowing, knowing that this isn't the end, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is the start. Damn. It's fantastic. It's it's so satisfying. You know. It's so satisfying. It scratches every creative edge, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty content. Good for you, man. I can tell you're happy. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. Wow. Well, how can people get a hold of you? What people? Anybody. Anybody wants um, to reach out. Instagram is great. Like I check that at least once a day, uh, maybe once every couple of days. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to get a hold of me there, um, if it's for a professional reason, I have representation that can be found on IMDb. Just Google my name, IMDb. There's representation there. Um, all the information is there to get a hold of me that way. If you're an operator, you can contact me at info at vitalwarrior.org. Uh, reach out. Do you have any questions about the practice? Um, I do have, at the Rama Institute, I do have um, something set up through the nonprofit that we'll talk about offline if you're interested in seeing what these classes are about and how they can benefit you. Um, and then um, if you're a SEAL, just contact, contact me through any one of the aforementioned and we'll get you right. Um, and if you're a SEAL that, you know, in the past that we've had um, interactions, I'm not the same guy. In fact, so much not the same guy, I changed my name, remember? Yeah. You know, a lot of people wonder, well, that's weird. You know, why do you do that? You know, and it's like, well, the first name is a contraction of Michael Cook. That's why it's spelled that way. So it kind of gives you context. The last name. This all came. <laughs> I know how it sounds. Um, this all came like in this process. It, it came through in like meditations and all these types of things. It's like, oh, you know. And so, um, but for you to get the gist, uh, that's kind of the driving force behind it. You know, the first name's a contraction of my swim buddy's first and last name. Yeah. yeah. So that's well, we'll talk about the other stuff later. Well, thanks a lot for coming out, man. Was, thanks for having me, man. This was a real pleasure. This is great. I love your setup. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, you're doing it right, man. Thank you. It's really cool. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Best of luck. Oh, <laughs> luck's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> There's no luck. <laughs>
Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a good ending. Thank you. Nice, man. I knew you were going to say that about luck. I like <laughs> it's that. true. Ending. We're going to end it like that. Celebrate the Black Friday sales event at Woodhouse Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Blair. Step into a new Jeep that you can count on. From the awarded new Grand Cherokee to the capable 2022 Jeep Compass, the Jeep lineup won't compromise on power, technology, or comfort. Delivering confidence and convenience for 29 years. Woodhouse Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Blair is your trusted auto partner. Visit us off Highway 30 in Blair or online at WoodhouseChryslerJeepDodge.com. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. 
the purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets Podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.